Wrestling Geeks How are you guys doing out there? This is another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance with your pal Dane Alves. On this episode, which will be a two-parter this week, because we have a uh, quite a, a plethora of things to talk about. On this episode, though, me and my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, will be breaking down everything that happened on AEW Dynamite. Winter is coming! Um, but, you know, speaking of which... I wouldn't be able to do this without my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How you doing, sir? Doing good, man. It's been a crazy week, to say the least, but uh, I'm happy to be talking about some very exciting things in wrestling. Got a cold beer. It's the weekend, so it's all, uh, as they say, downhill from here, I guess. Exactly. And if you guys can hear that, that's my glass of whiskey that I got for working later uh today at my work they give me a bottle of whiskey so this should be a really fun episode especially based on some of the content that we're going to be talking about so let me just get a little 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 sippy and we'll start off ah god that's 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 just nice it's a it's a wonderful friday from one which we're recording so you know we're gonna have a two-parter we're gonna go over and uh not nwa nxt uh our predictions for takeover on the other show that we'll be recording on Saturday. But, you know, I had to separate things. I asked Chris if he had some availability and a schedule because we really need a break up tonight. Um, I, I want to start off, though, in a conversation and remembrance of Pat Patterson, who just passed away at the I, I don't remember his age, honestly. I think he was uh, 79. I really should have this info in front of me. I, I apologize, guys. But, um, yeah, I think he was 79. Uh, yes, he would have been. Well, he would have been 79 in January, I think. Well, thank you for that, Chris. Uh, regardless, um, this is a, a big loss to wrestling. Um, if you're me and Chris's you know, age. You'll know Pat um, when it came to in front of the camera being one of the Stooges, along with Joel Briscoe in the Attitude Era, scorting Vince McMahon and helping him out, uh, coming out and having a weird Braun panties match between the two of them, I believe for the hardcore title, if I'm remembering correctly, um, as well as just being the people to always take the Stone Cold Stunner, um, you know, or coming out in the Road Warriors gear that one time. Uh, just some good stuff, but behind the curtain, and for people that you know are part of our generation too, you know that Pat Patterson was basically Vince's right-hand man, and the main person that stayed while other people floated uh, in creativity throughout the uh, 80s and 90s, whether it be a Bruce Pritchard, uh, whether it be a Jim Cornette, whether it be a Vince Russo, uh, Pat was always there, uh, and he was known for being able to figure out the endings of matches 
and storylines of how they could add up. But mainly his, his big thing was working with two wrestlers and figuring out how they would, fig, you know, make a, the biggest impact to the audience, basically, for the ending. Um, he actually was the one, uh, one of the early things that people will know that he did was the Ultimate Warrior Hulk Hogan WrestleMania ending that was crafted by him. He had his hand on a lot of those things from the beginning of the inception of the WWF uh, with the rock and roll era or the rock and wrestling era, I should say to the new neck or to the new generation era through the attitude era through just everything. And then he's been a consultant uh, with them for a long time, specifically actually more so over the phone than really in person, but helping out uh, Hunter uh, with NXT and also now Sean, uh, since they're, you know, running it. So he's instrumental in that way. And then the fact, if you didn't know this, if you're an older fan, you know him, him and Ray Stevens, incredible tag team uh, way back in the day. I think before Ray actually ended up with Bockwinkle in the AWA. And um, first Intercontinental Champion, uh, infamous feuds with people like Don Morocco and Sergeant Slaughter. And many others, uh, great as a heel, um, great as a babyface well, at the beginning of uh, WWF or the end of Vince Sr.'s uh, era in the WWF and into Vince's era when he was still wrestling. He was the referee uh, in the first WrestleMania main event with Hulk Hogan and, and uh, Mr. T going against um, Roddy Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff with um, Randy Randy Orton's dad, Bob Orton, in their corner uh, and actually had to literally, because he started shooting on the wrestlers, getting a little bit too much into it, separate Muhammad Ali, who was the outside referee for that match, from knocking out Piper. So uh, just, I mean, instrumental in a lot of ways and also something that should be celebrated. Uh, you know, one of the, the biggest mainstream wrestlers that happened to be gay, uh, you know, he came out more with his friends as of recently. It was actually on an episode of Legends that he did publicly, if you will, for the first time. Many people obviously knew within the industry and uh, came up in a, in a time where that was not accepted. And he was still beloved by a lot of people. Joe Briscoe just put up a great video that the WWE must have done with him in the last couple of days of him as a, a good friend of his. Um, I mean, he was Extremely good friends with Gorilla Monsoon, obviously Vince, uh, just so many legends within the industry. He was extremely influential with Shawn Michaels, you know. Uh, Shawn, it's funny because Shawn's compared to his tag team partner, Ray Stevens, as, as, as far as being a worker and similarities in that aspect because he looked up to him. But when it comes to the other side of things and what he's doing with NXT and inevitably will be doing with Hunter once Hunter takes over, um, you know, he kind of got that from Pat Patterson. So just all in all, a icon in wrestling, um, you know, a coach, I, I guess you could really more emphasis uh, with him and, and someone that's, that's important that I know I'm rambling on. And uh, Dave Metzler did a great breakdown. If you listen to the observer on just a biography of his, his big crucial things within wrestling that I might have not touched on in detail that I definitely recommend anyone listen to. Uh, but, you know, just a pioneer in wrestling, a uh, great worker, and probably one of the greatest minds, I would say, in our generation when it came to 
understanding the psychology aspects of professional wrestling, and he will be dearly missed. Um, Chris, what do you have to say about Pat Patterson? It's uh, It was shocking to think of a world without Pat Patterson. He's been such a big part of my growing up and being a wrestling fan, whether it's, like you said, being a stooge or being the guy that would openly tell Vince something sucked. I mean, he's the creative mind behind the 60-minute man-iron man match between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels that he had done years earlier. Um, one of the, I think the first openly gay wrestler, as far as the boys um, would know, and it, it's just crazy. He came to you know the United States at the age of 19, barely knowing any English, being French, French Canadian, and to make his name at the Cow Palace and in Madison Square Garden, all of these big places we talk about, and, and to think about the fact that he's brawled with you know Harley Race and the Funk Brothers and Jack Briscoe, and is considered you know to be one of the greatest in-ring brawlers and. I would say psychologist of his time. Um, I think Dave Meltzer basically said that he thought he was the best wrestler he'd ever seen until the likes of like Macho Man came around um, as far as the overall package and what he was able to do. Uh, I think, you know, even like a, even this hit AEW where, you know, we'll talk about it later, but John Moxley uses the term that's banana instead of that's bananas. I mean, that was a, a wink and nod to the legend Pat Patterson. I, he's, you know, the mentor of Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Uh, he basically discovered him and turned him into what we know as the Rock. Um, just so many, many things. But uh, you know, looking back at it, as, as as silly as it sounds, with all of the great accomplishments he has, I will always think of him as as one of these uh, Vince's stooges. And it's not because that that's how I that's I how I line up his career, but that was my childhood, and it's such a great part of it. Like watching him and Gerald take stutters, uh, get in these ridiculous situations for Vince, trying to save Vince from Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, so that's some of the best stuff to come out of the '90s. And uh, yeah, just a huge loss to the wrestling world. Um, I know he hadn't been, as far as I know, he hasn't been super involved with WWE or NXT as of late. Um, very touching posts from all the wrestlers around the wrestling world who did work with him. You know, Kevin Owens had had some really nice and kind things to say. Sami Zayn as well. Um, there was a great story. I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Sami when he won the title. Uh, I think the tweet was that when Sammy won the title, Gerald Briscoe was like the only person from the back, like one of your management people that swarmed the ring. And there was like, I don't know if you should be out there. And he's like, I want to see somebody try to stop me, which I thought was <laughs> was a great story. Um, I highly recommend everyone go read the this week's Wrestling Observer newsletter if you have a chance. There's a great... Great um, obituary that Dave Meltzer did, also his breakdown, like you said. Uh, just having that wealth of knowledge and being from San Francisco, which was you know, pretty much the home of Pat Patterson for a long period of time, he just has a wealth of knowledge. And, and like he said, I think even in his article, he said it, you know, it would take a book to tell you the legend of Pat Patterson. But you know, to synopsis, it, really, really sad. Um, he lived a great life and will always be known in the wrestling business as like, you know, one of the greatest in-ring performers as well as probably one of the greatest wrestling minds. Like I said, he, I mean, one of my favorite matches, the 60 minute man, Iron Man match. That's, that was his brainchild, the Royal rumble. If you've ever liked the Royal rumble, yeah. that's Pat Patterson. So just, 
sending warm uh, wishes to his friends and families. And yeah, it just sucks, man. Yeah, and I know um, not too long ago his partner passed away. Actually, it might have been a while ago, but, you know, uh, Pat was someone, you know, that will go down as, like we both said, one of the greatest all-around minds within professional wrestling, especially within the era that we grew up with, you know, starting with the Hulkamania, rock and wrestling era, and going to the Attitude Era, the Ruthless Aggression, the Royal Rumble, like you said, um, that's also should not be forgotten. Not only did he create it, but he actually tweaked a lot of the great stuff that we saw within the time period that he was a part of it. That was his brainchild. Um, a lot of the great endings that you see within wrestling in the 90s, uh, late 80s, early 2000s, he had something to do with. Uh, Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels, uh, he you know, mentored that whole entire match at WrestleMania, one of my favorite matches of all time. So many. And uh, it's it's crazy. And I would definitely check out on the network. Uh, they have a whole section for him. You know, I would check out his speech at the Hall of Fame because it's hilarious because he basically roasts everyone in the audience uh, while he's, you know, taking his time, accepting his award. And uh, he has his amazing match with Sergeant Slaughter at Master Square Garden. They had a ruthless brawl uh that was just awesome he was a tough dude and uh you know there is some negative stuff that has been put back in the air uh due to you know the the time that we live in the whole cancel culture concept um and i know a lot of that information and i believe a lot of the people i'll just say that i believe your dave metzler's uh, your Kevin Sullivan's like people that have talked about that um, over a lot of the accusations, basically in an era where it wasn't really accepted for him to be who he was. And that was gay. And, uh, you know, I just uh, I hate that that type of stuff comes with it, but I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, I just think that Pat Patterson, you know, for for the era that I watched him. And honestly, like if you if you look, if, I've been watching Raws lately. If you go back to '97, when they got their asses kicked, people just didn't realize, like me and and Chris, these guys could actually fucking wrestle. So sometimes they were out wrestling, looking old as hell as the Stooges, as these characters, some of the bigger names, and you know his involvement. If you, if you think about Mount Rushmore of 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 wrestling, you know people that you would name in there. Austin, Hogan, <laughs> if you, if, if The Rock, obviously, Savage, he is a part of that type of, you know, rise of, of, of popularity and helping them tweak fine stuff, fine tuning within all their careers. Uh, everyone was just, and this is kind of like a similar concept to Tracy Smothers, but different. Pat reached so many generations of helping you know, two individuals or the business itself. And he should definitely be remembered. And that's why we've rambled on about this for almost 20 minutes. So thank you, Pat Patterson. Uh, we love you. And uh, I'm sure once you saw your partner in the sky, you went banana. RIP. Uh, here's 10 seconds for Pat Patterson. All right. Woo. 
That was a nice little conversation, Chris. I'm going to need a little sippy for my drink, though. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's a good time anytime you talk about Pat Patterson, with the exception of uh, this unfortunate circumstance. But, um, yeah, absolute legend. Yep. Um, all right, so I guess from that, I just want to say Disco Inferno sucks. Um, calling you out, Glenn Gilberti. <laughs> you fucking suck. I'm sick of your bullshit. I love keeping it 100 because I'm a huge Conan fan, but you are so full of yourself. Oh, God, I can't stand you. I just don't understand that even if you're a, a good worker, you were mediocre around a bunch of people that were way fucking better. And I know you're never going to hear this, and that's fucking fine. But all I'm saying is you're around people when in the most popular time of wrestling. That's why it was so fucking great. You were a writer and a booker during the worst time in WCW in 2000 and then on. You look at Vince Russo like he's a fucking champion of fucking wrestling. You suck. Your opinions suck. Quit cutting off Conan. You're basically Bruce the Barber Beefcake with less charisma and better working fucking skills. And you can kiss my fucking white ass and just wipe your chin after, you know, doing whatever you do with Donald Trump or Vince Russo. That's all I got to say real fucking quick. Sorry. Sorry. I see that I see that you're still feuding with Disco. <laughs> or apparently one of his one of his uh, you know, lovely followers that does the YouTube comments. I just I get aggravated for Conan. I don't know why Conan does a show with him. I feel like he's going to have a stroke. There's a reason why Shane Helms left that show even after WWE just let him off. He didn't come back cuz who the fuck wants to talk to fucking Disco Inferno? Like he's been anything in fucking wrestling. Besides a shitty gimmick. Ooh, you're the cruiserweight champion because they gave it to you as a joke because obviously you're not a cruiserweight. You're a two-time TV champion. You're right up there with Arn Anderson for fucking bringing prestige to that title. And then you're fucking one-time, I guess, tag championship with the Dancing Fools. Fuck you. You suck. You're from Jersey. And the only reason that chicks fuck you at your goddamn strip club is because you own it. <laughs> Someone needs to tell him that. Someone needs to tell him that, Chris. <sighs> oh, man. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I, You know, I haven't been on a rent like that in a long time. Maybe I'll save it up and let one out soon. <laughs> I hope you do. I hope you do. I just uh, – I'm, I'm done with it. I'm done with pretending that he is anything that sh people should fucking, you know, I don't know. Uh, anyways, but but we have a good night. We have a fun thing to talk about. And that was the AEW Dynamite Winter is Coming, uh, their mini pay-per-view. And I would say, and I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this. A lot of people have put this out there. If This is definitely, to me, their best Dynamite of the year. But this might be especially game-changing, you know, stuff that Tony Khan was talking about. A couple weeks ago, how the landscape in wrestling is about to drastically change, and then Pac came back. We were all like, well, we love Pac, but that, that's what you're talking about. And then recently, for the press conference for this, he said that was continuous, and this will be happening for a while. Do you think that this was game-changing, Chris? And do you think this is, this is the, uh, the best Dynamite period, or of this year? Or how did you feel overall with this AEW Dynamite? Definitely the best of this year. Uh, it, it felt special. It had a big show feel to it. Uh, I would say not necessarily the last pay-per-view, but the pay-per-view before, I, this show was probably better. 
uh, from top to bottom. I thought there were some good matches on it. Obviously, some huge surprises we'll get into later, but it did feel game changing specifically because of the end. I don't want to I don't want to skip straight to the punchline, but uh, I mean, this opens up a lot of doors within wrestling and different and various promotions out of one show, which in theory widens your audience, gives you a broader appeal and also allows some room to help your younger talent grow as well as, uh, you know, rotate in some people that you may want to see. So we'll, we'll get to that, I guess, later. But, you know, this was their best show of the year, and it's the highest rated show I think they've had since the debut of AEW. So that that should speak for the quality. And uh, uh, for people out there that don't care about the ratings, I look, I get it. But from the debut of a show... <laughs> To this episode, those are the two highest. So that, that should put it in you know perspective because there was a lot of a lot of excitement about the debut and then it kind of traveled off. And I, I'm not going to get into demo numbers or anything, but it should show you that this was a very important show. And and I do believe Tony Khan because I don't think it ends at this show. It seems like uh we could see a lot of cool things from some different feds potentially. Yeah, and uh, this is this is, I definitely think a game changer. Um, you know, uh, Brian Alvarez mentioned within this that I'm sorry, I got, I got briefly distracted by something, and now my brain just kicked off. Um, well, I'll just say this. I'll make a joke and try to pass it to you so I can think of uh, what the hell I was trying to go for. Do you think that The Undertaker is going to show up at next week's NXT now? Do you think Hunter's going to break the glass and maybe uh, Undertaker will come out with uh, Aleister Black or something to, <laughs> to combat this whole thing? I don't know, but I've been getting a kick out of watching these Undertaker cameo videos. Oh, my God. I just I love them. They're so great. <laughs> There's like one where he's like, just want to let you know you're a wonderful husband. <laughs> he kills me every time. I can't do that, man. I, I'm not going to be able to go down that rabbit hole too much. The one for grandma, for, uh, for Brian Alvarez's grandma. That was, that was great, but I can't take my, 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 uh, my belief, my suspension of disbelief, I should say away that much from the undertaker <laughs> where, He's thinking, you know, husbands and shit. Like, what the fuck? Especially since he's in an outfit, he's doing the, the Undertaker voice. You know, that whole thing. It's just weird, man. I don't know. I don't know if I like it. I love it. I think it's like the internet's best meme. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Man, but close to a million. I mean, fuck. AEW just made a huge statement and they dropped it. And uh, we're going to see a lot, I think, from this. That was what I was going to say. Brian Alvarez says this matters, especially this number that he didn't even know at the time when he was talking about it, which he assumed was going to be high. Obviously, it was. Um, this does not matter, though, as much as can this make the number be just as big, if not bigger, the next two weeks. So I think because the fact that obviously anyone was watching it, Saw that ha thing happen with Sting, and a lot of people started telling a lot of other people who fucking tuned in because they jumped just during that segment. And then with the ending, this opens up so much more. 
So this is a, uh, I'm not going to say WWE needs to be worried. I'm never going to believe that concept just because of how much money they are, the fucking Walt Disney. But it was a guy with a tennis racket not too long ago that made the comment just because Ring of Honor New Japan, you know, got together and, and sold out Madison Square Garden that you're never going to be able to fight the beast that is WWE, but you can tell it to stay the fuck in its yard, basically. And I'm sorry, that possibility is now there uh, with a lot of this. Uh, It's going to be weird what happens in the next year. And honestly, I don't know if that would have happened. Maybe it would have, but I think the pandemic definitely speeded up the process of what we will talk about at the end might be a return of the quote-unquote territory system in a certain way, uh, modern day. And back then, it was the territories. Uh, AWA was kind of big by itself as well, but you had the NWA who worked with them at least, and then you had WWF in New York in the north. So just saying, a lot of similarities are happening. It's now just more about interpromotions themselves and all of them seem to be working together in some way or at least have some type of allegiance with something but we'll go into that any other statements before we start off this show with the battle royal for the diamond ring chris i will say the number that they popped was like 931,000 viewers right and that's the average number so even prior to the sting appearance which we'll get into they were already having a really, really good show. And me and you previewed this last week. And what I thought would happen to NXT happened. Basically, it's you're going to get those fans that wanted to switch over and see Moxley versus Kenny Omega. I think that's what the show was built around. I think the Sting thing helps. I don't think that they fall off that much next week, knowing that Sting is going to be appearing and it's being noted ahead of time. Yeah. I mean, the ma- matches that they announced were pretty good, but the fact that we're getting, we're getting Impact, and then we're having Kenny talk on AEW about whatever happens Tuesday night on Impact, and also Tony Schiavone's talking with Sting. So we're going to find out what he has to do with this. But let's start off and get started with this Battle Royal. This is the second commemorative uh, Diamond, uh, yeah, Dynamite Diamond Battle Royal. It's for the uh, the uh, diamond ring that MJF currently has because he won it last year. And basically, once it gets down to two people within the Battle Royal, they go on to a match to determine who wins. And it's kind of like, I mean, I guess like almost not really a money in the bank, but something on that type of gimmick. They don't get a title shot, but it's something prestigious. They don't have a tournament, but it's a Battle Royal. But I will say, and, you know, it was, it was speaking about Pat Patterson, and we'll talk on our episode tomorrow about NXT's amazing package. I like that, you know, obviously they were friends with him. Obviously Jim Ross, definitely Tony Moore mentored under him while he was in WWE, but they mentioned the passing and uh, it just, I thought for a battle Royal and don't get me wrong. I used, we just talked about this not too long ago uh, with that fucking one on survivor series. I didn't like the ending because it's very stereotypical of what you do in a battle royal, all of a sudden the last guy is, oh yeah, he's on the outside. We forgot about him, and that person ends up winning the match usually, a lot of times, or just causes like a change in direction. Um, but I thought they crafted what they did in the battle royal really well. I think that 
a lot of the the people that got eliminated. You know, you see Matt Hardy, who's this new version of himself, uh, obviously heel. Right off the back, he takes out Mark Quinn, and he helps out Isaiah Cassidy throughout the match, but he eliminates someone that trusts him right off the bat. And you can tell that, especially when he eliminated John Silver, who the audience was pissed about, they did that purposely because Matt's now trying to get over as a heel. How are you going to do it? Take out people, even if they're the smaller names, uh, take over, take out people that, that the people like. I like uh, this whole thing with, uh, with Adam Page of uh, how he almost got eliminated, but the Dark Order was there to help to catch him and then put him back in the match. He would be eliminated shortly after that. Uh, but we, it was, it was a very well put together battle royal. You had, you know, MJF and Sammy Guevara uh, getting held down in the corner with Wardlow, and them kind of just blocking, deflecting people left and right, and just picking and choosing like heels would do, since they're all together in the undisputed era. But then the ending with Jungle Boy, which he took a nasty bump when him and Sammy Guevara were off the top ropes, and MJF just pushed. Jungle Boy that obviously subsequently took out fucking Sammy Guevara, which caused more tension later on that night for the Undisputed Era, setting up stuff for the future. They were able to maintain, you know, smaller upcoming feuds uh, and storylines within this, and they did that throughout the whole entire night. It's like they laid out what's going to happen in a big way um, throughout the whole entire episode of Dynamite, basically. And I thought the Battle Royal, you know, I never really liked Battle Royals too much. I don't like the unpredict or the uh, predictable concept of Orange Cassidy being the last one. And I really wasn't a big fan of him getting Wardlow out. I love seeing Miro and, and Wardlow stare down each other. That was a pretty cool moment. I love that Miro was really strong until he got eliminated, but he was, he, he eliminated, I think, the most people. I just thought it was a, it was a well-crafted, well-put-together Battle Royal that made sense. And, uh, yeah, I, you could also tell the difference between, you know, someone like a Sammy Guevara or a Jungle Boy, especially, who were selling, and then someone else that might have been a less experienced waiting for what the fuck was happening. And I appreciate that with Jungle Boy, especially, because he did a damn good job of it. Um, but, yeah, it came down to Wardlow, MJF, Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy got out Wardlow when he fucked up and almost eliminated MJF. Uh, getting him back in the ring, but getting a Superman punch and then pushed out. And then the left last two that will be fighting for that ring. And I would not, I think it would be a good idea for DDP to come back next week to present the ring like he did the first time. I think that would be a, a good thing. I would have promoted that if that, that might be the case, maybe do that in the next couple of days, but just to pop a rating. I mean, you might as well add on to all the other stuff. Uh, but I think that even though I don't want MJF really to get a loss, he just beat Jericho, but before that, kind of got a couple losses. Uh, but I hope that they have uh, Orange Cassidy actually win that. For the fact that I think that he is a fan favorite, and he's gotten better, and he's he's done better. But also, honestly, partially to give him something so he doesn't have to have a title or anything like that. Uh, and he's still got some type of prestigious concept, because I can't see him taking the... TNT title, or especially the the big title, uh, anytime soon. So, and MJF can take a loss. He's a fucking heel. He'll probably try to use Wardlow's to his advantage, get fucked over, get rolled up, or whatever. Uh, but I thought the battle royal was pretty good. Chris, what'd you think? 
I liked everything about the Battle Royal from a storyline perspective. Like you said, everything had its place. So it was all building towards future feuds. With, you get the dissension between the Inner Circle. You get the continuation of the storyline between Adam Page and the Dark Order. Um, Matt Hardy you know, is turning heel. So obviously eliminating Isaiah Cassidy right away, that's a big deal for whatever storyline they're going to do there. The Miro, uh, um, it made Miro look strong in this match. Uh, You continue the best friends slash Miro and Kip Sabian feud. Uh, You set up more with Orange Cassidy potentially winning this ring, which I think is not crazy because I feel like Sammy Guevara might cost MJF this ring. If I was booking Mm -hmm. it, that's probably the way I would go. Um, Just because Orange Cassidy has taken more losses than MJF as of of recently. Uh, Now, they have been like screw finishes, pretty much. So they've been trying to protect the guy, but he is due for a win. And also, his character having something prestigious like a diamond ring is just hilarious to me because I assume he's just going to do like NATO would do and and try to set like trade it for chips and shit at a gas station, (laughs) Uh, which is still one of my favorite things of all time. But yeah, no, I I agree with you completely. I thought this was a very well booked. There was nothing bad in it. I mean, the only person I didn't know where they were going with the storyline is Luther. And that's, he was just a body essentially. Um, I do like that, you know, they had the guy laying on the outside of the ring. I think it was Orange Cassidy. Wardlow went out and got his ass and brought him back in the ring. So they teased doing the thing that they did with, uh, why can't I think of his name now? Eddie Kingston at the last Battle Royal. Uh, and instead, Wardlow goes out and gets Orange Cassidy. That leads up to the finish. I, You know, it's a Battle Royal. There's not a lot to excited about when you're watching a battle royal but it did set up a bunch of future storylines and that's kind of all you can ask from that thing uh hopefully wwe's royal rumble will take notes on this you know in the past they've done a really good job of setting up future feuds but i feel like the last two royal rumbles haven't really done that as well no and i think you're right another uh little wrinkle was the uh sean spears and scorpio sky uh, thing and Tully looking pretty pissed that Sean Spears got eliminated by him and then him loading up his glove and knocking him in the head. So we're not done with that, which I mean, they're, they're both good workers. You don't have a lot going on. I like seeing this mostly. I like to see Scorpio Sky in a larger role um, because I think that he potentially could have the world heavyweight title, honestly. Definitely the TNT title in the next year. Um, I think he's that talented and I'd like to see it happen soon. Cause he's like fucking 37 for Christ's sakes. But, um, you know, I also like that Tully seems like Sean's kind of starting to piss him off a little bit. And I don't want him to abandon Sean Spears, but I kind of want him to abandon Sean Spears. You know what I'm saying? So good job regardless with this battle Royal and the next match that I thought was a really fucking good match would go more into what's going on with the inner circle. We had a match with Frankie Kazarian and Chris Jericho. And um, this is a good match. First meeting of these two in a singles match. They've both been in the industry for a very long time. I fucking love Frankie Kazarian. I think that he's a brilliant worker. I've made the comparison a million times, and I apologize for overstating this, but his in-ring work reminds me so much of Bret Hart. He just makes everything look believable. He's very smooth. Nothing too crazy, but he's technically savvy. Uh, I just think that he's a awesome fucking wrestler. 
And Jericho and him were able to pull off some stuff that they should not be able to pull off for their age. I mean, the Spanish fly, for Christ's sakes, towards the end of the match. That was crazy. But they were really vibing off each other, I felt. And their work together was really well. And it was like seeing both of them when they were younger a bit. Like, they both got a pep in their step. And they worked well together. I thought it was a good match. And then the aftermath. You know, you have Ortiz and and Sammy Guevara that are there. And Jake Hager and Ortiz. No, no, Sammy wasn't there. I'm sorry. It was Ortiz and Hager. And at one point, Ortiz had to, like, calm Hager down because he almost cost a match by getting involved right in front of Aubrey Edwards. There were a couple times where that happened a little bit too much in front of Aubrey Edwards. Um, Sometimes she has a problem with trying to distract herself from the situation she's supposed to be distracted from, if you will. And it's a lot of the wrestlers or a lot of the referees. I'm not trying to pick on Aubrey, but uh, but, you know, that was at least thwarted by Ortiz. I was like, you know, getting him to fucking calm down. Uh, And later we had MJF come out with Wardlow, who's about to throw in the towel. And Sammy came in and knocked the fucking shit out of him. But what did Chris Jericho see once he saw all this? Sammy Guevara with the towel. So what the hell does Chris think from this? After the match, after he beats Frankie Kazarian, uh, you know, a fight breaks out between MJF and uh, Sammy Guevara. Ortiz is pressing towards MJF. He's pushing with them. You have Wardlow and Jake Hager look like they're about to explode. And Jericho said that he was enough with all his bullshit. He's done. You know, the shit needs to end, basically. And that next week, they're going to have an ultimatum. And they have a week to all figure out their shit. But either the inner circle is going to stay together as it is, intact, with all the members, or they're fucking done. So this opens up a lot of stuff. It's it's, it's fast-tracking, because I thought this would be the inevitability. Uh, But, you know, it's... it's, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if they're just going to stay together or solve just a swerve or if this will be the, you know, breaking up of the inner circle where MJF can f- come later saying that he was a mastermind behind all this. Like a lot of people think is going to happen. Jericho goes baby face. You can put LAX by themselves together or maybe Sammy goes baby face from it. There's a lot of things that you can do with them breaking up, but is it too soon is the question. Or like I said, is next week going to be another swerve? to make you think they're going to break up, then they stay together, but inevitably MJF's going to cause some friction within the group. I thought this was, uh, I thought the match was good. I thought the storytelling afterwards was good. And I am curious of what's going to happen with the inner circle from this. Uh, Chris, what do you think? I liked, I liked most of the match. The, when it got to the ends there where you had Sammy Guevara and MJF and the towel and Wardlow and Hager, um, that took too long. Poor Frankie Kazarian sitting in a Boston crab for like what seemed like an hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, but, but outside of that, I mean, really good match. Jericho shows that he can still go in the ring. Frankie Kazarian, like I like we said on the show multiple times, is one of the most underrated wrestlers in the world. I think it's, it's fucking crazy. It's like he gets better with age. I think that's what I said. He's like a fine wine. This dude just gets better with age. And, uh, you know, this is the follow-up to that tag match they had, which I thought was pretty good. It's good to see Frankie Kazarian being utilized in a role, even if it's just to spark turmoil with the inner circle. My my outcome would be inner circle beats down Sammy Guevara, and he has to pack his bags and leave, and he's the sympathetic babyface that has reason to go after inner circle. I don't necessarily know it's time to break up the entire group, 
But turning Sammy Guevara babyface, I don't think is a terrible idea. I feel like there's a lot they can do with him, especially if they're going to put the belt on uh, Darby or if Darby's going to hold the belt for a while. I think he would be a good opponent for Darby um, after he finishes up with MJF. And and eventually, you know, Wardlow and, and Hager are going to explode. So that sows the seeds for later down the road of the whole group eventually breaking up and, and you can still go the mastermind route that people are thinking with MJF if, if you want to go that way. Very curious, very curious. And I hope my biggest hope, and I, I, I'm sure you feel the same way. Let this be a serious thing that happens next week. Don't let this be another way to fucking do a video montage, stupid goddamn segment, or even on stage on, on in the ring. Don't let it end up being fucking comedy. I think this should be taken seriously. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I feel like that someone should be eliminated from this group, if not multiple people, and this should be a very serious segment. And like I said, I think maybe the beatdown of Sammy Guevara um, in being exploited from the group or expunged from the group, I should say, is probably the right way to go. Yep, I could see that, and I think that Sammy would do a great job in the in the singles division. All right, so ne- next we have the Young Bucks. Um, Fathead himself, Alex Marvez, um, was interviewing them, and it was really weird. Like, all of a sudden, like, Nick started talking about, like, remember when we super kicked you in the face? It was like, I thought you guys were babyface now. Like, what the fuck was that? But anyways, uh, in walks, while they're having the interview, uh, Max uh, Caster and Anthony Bowens uh, – and they basically do their shtick. I didn't know anything about these guys at all. Apparently, they are on AEW Dark. Um, but I didn't know who they were. One of them reminded me of John Cena, which was a joke. He made a rap about the brothers on the cover of their magazine or on the cover of their book looking at each other's junk. Um, you know, and, and I guess that was trying to punk them out. But basically, it was kind of thor like uh getting their uh you know distracting them from TH2 who came up and beat the crap out of them from behind and that was a segment uh kind of interesting i guess i know uh that this team is has been doing well on dark and that's you know they've kind of been using dark uh, from what tony says a lot kind of similar to NXT in a way at least just like kind of feeding a feeding system of, of being able to find potential talent and, or if they see potential and talent, getting them better like top flight, for instance, to come on the main product. Uh, but I don't know why they're helping out TH2 since these guys are their own tag team. I don't know if I like the obvious, uh, thugonomics <laughs> kind of rip off of that one gentleman, but, uh, interesting nonetheless. Um, a little confused with the segment, I got to be honest with you, with a lot of different things, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense if TH2 has promised a tag match to the acclaimed if they win the belts, right? So that's they're basically would be skipping over a bunch of other tag teams to get a shot right away. Uh, it was a weird segment. I do know the acclaimed is just two guys that Tony Khan put together as a tag team. Apparently they've been really, really good 
on Dark, but I don't watch Dark every week, so I haven't seen a whole lot of them. Um, if they're going to be on the show next week, I would love a video package or something just to tie in their personalities here to what they do in the ring. Maybe it's on me. I should probably go back and watch some of their matches on Dark when I get a chance. But uh, yeah, for me, it was just a little odd. You know, the Young Bucks just beat FTR. I feel like there's a lot of really great tag teams in AEW that you could be feuding with as opposed to just having the Young Bucks have random matches with random people. <laughs> it's yep. seemingly what it is. This is almost turning into like Cody with him taking on certain people, which I mean, in a lot of ways, we got uh, Eddie Kingston from that, which was awesome. Um, and I have no problem with Warhorse, but you know, he he seemed to kind of take in talent that wasn't as known or even as experienced. Uh, so I'm wondering, I guess the Young Bucks are doing that. There's two things that I see in the Young Bucks future. Um, one of them is FTR, and the other one's the Good Brothers. Now with this added wrinkle. So I guess in the meantime, if they want to do TH2 and then take on the Acclaim, hey, whatever. I guess short feuds. The one thing that really I questioned, why did they reference being heels all of a sudden randomly with Alex Marvez? Why did why did Nick Jackson reference him super kicking him? I have no idea. I think it was just like a wink and a nod joke about, I don't know. It seemed very, very BTE. But it, yeah. I don't know that I would want to draw. To me, that whole buildup was terrible. I don't know that you really need to revisit it. Merch freak. I see you, Nick Jackson. Anyways, all right, let's uh, get to the next match. We had Dr. Britt Baker going against legit Layla Hirsch. Uh, last time Layla was on, she went against uh, Sheena Deeb for the NWA Women's Championship. She's like 4'8", but she is a powerhouse. I really would love to see her join uh, Team Taz, honestly, as as like Taz having a female representative, if they were going to do something like that. She should be someone that Taz can help out probably on the mic and really build her up, uh, you know, the way he's doing that for Brian Cage and um, and uh, not really Ricky Starks, but their other member, um, uh, Hobbs. So that's just something I thought in my head during this match. But uh, I thought this was a good match. I thought that you could tell it's no offense to Britt Baker. I think that she's good. She's becoming a really good in-ring heel. Uh, but Layla is pretty damn good, man. She's, she's an ex-collegiate uh, wrestler. She came here when she was young. She's got, you know, lots of different uh, awards and acclaims for stuff within powerlifting and whatnot. So, you know, I... I'm, I'm not going to say she was carrying her, but Britt was acting like the heel. She was acting like a, you know, the, the normal way that you would think this would happen. Um, towards the end, her seemingly KOs uh, Baker with a big kick or knee, and the announcers claim she should have gone for the cover. Instead, she goes to the top rope, and Rebel distracts the ref, like she did throughout the whole match. This allows Baker to drop her face first in the middle turnbuckle in the corner, she follows that up with twisting neckbreaker and then uh, reapplies the lockjaw again and Hirsch taps out. And afterwards, Thunder Rosa just comes in fucking swarming on Britt Baker. I like this because you could tell there was a little bit of a live rounds. The ladies definitely had a little bit of an agreement because they were, they were just beating the shit out of each other. Um, and, uh, you know, Rebel tried to get involved and Hirsch 
fucking suplexed her ass and you know you have Aubrey Edwards basically trying to hold back Thunder Rosa and the other referees trying to hold back you know it was it was chaos it, it got a little bit all right you know the whole break apart concept gets a little bit old after a while but this is what they're uh, this is what they're going for is Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa I think that's a good feud you know outside of the title picture outside of I should say either title picture um, but you know, I'm I'm very curious of a program with the two of them, and I like Leela Hirsch. I think that she has a lot of potential. So I liked all this. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I thought it was a great way to showcase what Layla Hirsch can do. Uh, they did a good job protecting her at the end. I thought it was a pretty good match overall. Um, did Britt Baker change her finisher? Wasn't her finisher like a crossface before, and then she'd like shove her hands in the person's mouth while applying the crossface? I thought she did that. Did she? Okay. Maybe. I don't know why I wrote Mandible Claw then. So maybe that's just on me. <laughs> well, she does, she does She does. a cross face and then she does a Mandible Claw to him. She used to put on a glove, I guess, because of COVID, but she didn't really care tonight. Okay. And in the Thunder Rosa stuff with her and Britt Baker, that should be fine. Like, I, that'll be really good Britt Baker matches. Um, I... I don't know. What do, you, it, what do you think about Britt Baker as an in-ring performer? I've seen her have really good matches, and I've seen her have really bad matches. I but agree. But it's, yeah. it's hard to tell because she she's had so much time on the shelf since AEW started. I don't think we've gotten a consistent run of Britt Baker enough for me to have a really good judgment. I think she was really good. She looks really good in this match, but also Layla Hirsch looked really good against Serena Deebs and continued to look good here. So I don't know if that's just a situation where it's maybe just the opponent for Britt Baker. If that's the case, I mean, putting her against Thunder Rosa, that should be another good match. Um, But I mean, they've put Britt Baker in some weird matches with opponents that I wouldn't, I don't know, that didn't necessarily help her cause. Let's say that. Yeah. She's definitely one of the best characters they have developed, especially as a heel. And, I mean, even the four-way match at All In with her, Madison Rain, Tessa Blanchard, and Kylie Ray was fucking awesome. I thought she was great in that. So, I, did she win? No, I think Tessa won, actually. Um, but, yeah, just uh, interesting stuff um, coming. And, I, yeah, like, Thunder Rosa, God, now that they're all a part of it, can we get a picture in the back with Sting, Thunder Rosa, and Darby Allen all make up stuff? And Dustin. Just all four of them just hanging out. That'd be great. Want to see? <laughs> It'd be really funny if they just dressed up like Kiss instead. <laughs> That's what you got. <laughs> cool. I'm down for that. I know that Jericho would fucking have a boner over that shit. <laughs> I guess Sting is Gene Simmons in that, huh? I yeah. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I would assume Thunder Rosa would be ace freely. That would make a lot of sense, but you know, you can do whatever. Dustin's down for whatever, so he's probably Peter Chris, and that would make the, you know, the star child ace freely would be uh, fucking Darby Allen. There you go. All right. We just I, figured I, out Survivor Series. <laughs> yeah, this is what this is what blood and guts is gonna look like. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. All right. Are you ready to talk about this shit? Because I am. Yes. All right, so we had Darby Allen, Cody Rhodes against Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. 
Uh, this is a really good tag match. I mean, outside of the the aftermath is going to probably dominate the match itself, but they actually had a really good match. And Darby Allen, he can sell like a motherfucker. And Hobbs was able to show off himself. Hey, uh, Mark Henry is a big fan of Powerhouse Hobbs. I wonder why. Actually, he admitted that he reminds him of himself. But um, if I was Powerhouse Hobbs and I heard about that, I would definitely be messaging him on Twitter because he can probably give you some uh, some advice based on your size. But right now, Willie Hobbs is doing great, I think, uh, for being someone that's young. And he looks scary, dude. And I like his new outfit. I thought Ricky performed really well in this match. Cody, like I said, sold. Uh, but, you know, was the guy that inevitably helped Darby Allen in at the end of it. Uh, we would have the ending of the match happen where Allen is finally starting to show signs of life. Meanwhile, back flipping out attempted moves from Hobbs and Starks back to back and tags in the American Nightmare. Cody takes a hot tag and is in the ring now like a man possessed, taking it to any and everything that moves. Power slam Starks. And takes off his weight belt, throwing it to the crowd. Taz and Aaron Anderson hop on the apron to strap the ref. After the smoke clears, Cody goes for the crossroads, but Starks counters. Instead, Cody blacks, or blasts Starks with a big shot. He goes for the Cody cutter off the ropes, as he does. And Allen tags himself in. I, I love that whole entire sequence. Cody hits a dive on the floor on Hobbs as Allen hits a cop and drop on Starks. One, two, three. And the babyface duo pick up the win. Your winners, Darby Allen and Cody Rhodes. And afterwards, Taz orders everyone to get the fuck in the ring and beat the shit out of the babyfaces. Uh, they start getting overcome by Darby and uh, Cody. But then, you know, well, no, no, no. Actually, first Arn gets involved and starts fucking trying to take out Hobbs. I guess Arn thought, you know, he had some he, he had some pep in his step, man. He wasn't fucking around. Hobbs uh, reminded him who he was, basically, and then uh, Dustin comes out shortly after that. Brian Cage comes out. Heels get the advantage. I'm not going to go any further. Before we get to the next part with Sting, what do you think about the match and the initial aftermath of the match before Sting arrived? So I thought this was a really, really fun tag match. I mean, nothing to complain about. It was mostly Darby Allen bumping his ass off and selling like crazy. Uh, from the moment he tagged in, he was pretty much just getting his ass whipped to set up to uh, to the hot tag for Cody, like you said, which that in segment they had where Cody ran wild and Allen just hit the blind tag and the coffin drop at the end. That was great. Um, very fast paced match. I thought powerhouse Hobbs looked great in this. Uh, there's one spot in the, in the match that he just looked like he was killing Darby Allen where Darby's going for a tag and will. Uh, Will Hobbs just grabs him in a, into a bear hug. It's the first time I've seen a bear hug in a long time that looks like he was going to break a man in half. It was believable that he was squeezing the life out of Darby Allen. Obviously, with Darby Allen versus Powerhouse Hobbs, the size difference between those two people made it look more devastating. But the way that they sold it um, and then just wearing down Darby Allen to lead up to that finish, I thought was really good. This was a very fun match. I look forward to seeing more Powerhouse Hobbs. I think I actually... I'm more excited about him than I am Brian Cage or Ricky Starks or anyone else involved with Taz, if I'm being completely honest. He's impressed me the past uh, two weeks. Yeah, he's a he's a physical specimen. I, I definitely I wish that's the thing is like Brian Cage. I wish that 
I'm just going to assume and hope, especially with what they're interacting with, that Cage will be promoted in a better way um, going forward, or at least get a rub from this interaction and this uh, this feud, uh, because I'm kind of, you know, not talking about the big picture. And the big picture is that the winner's coming concept and the 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 seismic change, uh, the, the 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 power shift that Tony Khan was talking about, it wasn't that wasn't about Pack and Winners Coming wasn't actually talking about the main event because we see a video. Basically, we get to the point where uh, they get Cody up. They've already f would everyone. Everyone's down. You know, Arn's down. Dustin's down. Darby's down. Cody is about to get smacked in the face from Hobbs with the FTW Championship. Lights go dark. Then we see his video package, and it's all winter-based. You see fake snow coming in, which it was 40 degrees, but it's fucking Jacksonville, so obviously it wasn't real. And it's it's going everywhere with the video. shows you lots of shots of, like, mountains and talking about winter is coming. And then it shows you a little flash of a crow. Now, people that are Game of Thrones fans that didn't maybe take this you know, might have thought it was a raven. So that, that has to do with that whole entire concept of winners coming. But a couple flashes later, and you see S-T-I-N-G in white just just come up on the screen. And for only being a thousand people, my God, they made one hell of a fucking reaction. Uh, Edges was pretty big at the Royal Rumble. Don't get me wrong. And Edge, you know, based on what he's done to fix, uh, actually, spinal stenosis, a, a thing that Singh has, he's much younger, he's fixed a lot of stuff, we're going to see him wrestle after this injury is, is over with, and that was huge, but Sting is a big fucking name, and even though he can't wrestle, or at least wrestle as much, you know, Sting comes fucking out, people go nuts, he brings his fucking bat out, as soon as, you know, we get a wide shot, you see Taz and all them Get the hell out of there real quickly. And then Sting comes to the ring. He's looking at them exiting. And he's looking in the ring. He's very stoic and slow about this. He comes inside the ring. And you see him go directly up to Arn Anderson. And Arn's looking at like he saw a ghost. And the narrating, you know, Tony Schiavone, it's Sting! And JR is like, this is, or, or Tony said something like, this hasn't been, the last time Sting's been on TNT since 2001 with his match with Ric Flair that I commentated and then, you know, JR, it's been over 21 years and like building this up while this is happening and, and, and talking about like, Oh, you know, him and Arn, how they have it. They, they don't have the best history. You know, Arn Anderson was a part of the four horsemen that took out Sting and kicked him the fuck out in 1990 and was the bane of his existence along with Ric Flair and Oli and Barry for, for a good while uh, throughout that whole entire thing. So, Arn and Sting have been at odds. Then he goes up to Dustin, who's Dusty's kid, and he looks at him and he kind of gives him a nod. Obviously, he goes to, to Dusty's other kid. Obviously, Dusty, if you don't remember, uh, was tag teams with Sting, and they went against a heel Road Warriors. I think it was like almost fucking 30 years ago. Uh, I, I think it was Conrad was talking about that. That 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 actual anniversary is coming up when they won the tag titles against road warriors at i think it was at stark it was at one of the bigger pay-per-views in wcw in the late 80s so you have that interaction with dustin and then cody 
And of course, Jr. says, you know, you you could say his father or his daddy would be his biggest influence, but if you ask Cody, Sting has been his favorite wrestler for years, and Cody looks shocked and in awe. And then probably the biggest moment, and Bully Ray said the best, uh, you know, when he was talking to Dave LaGreca on Busted Open, uh, the rub. This is the definition of a rub, and this doesn't have to be me putting you over in a match as a legend. When he got in the face of Darby Allen, Darby Allen was down, but unlike Cody and Dustin and Arn, who couldn't couldn't stand up and and actually get face to face with them, Darby got he stood up. He kind of tripped and then got back up and got right in Sting's face. Now the 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 minor concept, and this is just based on where Darby paints his face. It would have been nice to see the camera angle, the opposite side, of the face paint of Darby along with Sting for a visual, but that's very minor in concept. It's just Darby's reaction to Sting and Sting looking at him and kind of nodding of acceptance. Sting didn't say shit and did so much for AEW, for Darby Allen, for Cody, and for storylines involved with them than you could do with... A lot of different stuff built up, and that's why it's amazing. And then shortly after that, they announced Sting is not only going to be there, he signed a multi-year contract, but it was described from Dave Metzler that this is not going to just be Sting showing up every once in a while. Like, Sting's going to be an active part of AEW for the next couple years going forward. This is him back on TNT, and the entity that kind of took impact or I should say TNA's place of being kind of the WCW, you know, that's still there. That was WCW. That was the NWA. You know, this is now that company and he's back on the fucking television program of TNT. It's, it was just big in so many ways. My mind was completely blown. It would only escalate with the championship match that happened later of, of, of the aftermath of that. But my God, I have, a couple things jotted down, but I want your initial reactions. How did you react? Did you know, like, the package, I kind of was like, in the back of my head, Chris, I was like, is it Sting? It's not Sting. It's not Oh, my God, it is Sting! But, like, did you even know? Or were you like, who the fuck is coming? Or how did you react to this? Give me it. Break me down. So, right off the bat, when the lights went out, I had absolutely no idea who was going to be there. Uh, me and you had talked previously about the potential of Sting showing up because they had pulled all of his merch from WWE, meaning that he's no longer under a Legends deal. So, there's a lot of stuff. And we had talked about interactions with him and Cody and uh, possible interactions with him and Darby. And that seems like that's what they're giving. Um, but there's just something special about Sting coming out. I liked the entrance music. I liked the video package that they had on the their Tron, I guess is what we'll call it. Um, I love the slow walk to the ring and just reaching inside of his coat where I guess he just has a pocket for his baseball bat and being able to just pull that thing out like a, unsheathing a sword before he gets into the ring. Um, the only thing I didn't like about this, because I thought the interaction, I thought you did a great job of breaking down the interaction and, and the same thing with Bully Ray, the way he was able to elevate everyone that was in that ring because that's what a legend should be able to do. And, and sting is that level of legend, uh, especially if he's not treated like a geek looking at UWWE. but he gets in the ring and it's a huge fucking deal that stings back on TNT and the announcers are selling it. And it's just so great. 
and it just immediately took me back to the first time watching WCW Nitro as a kid, and he's up in the rafters with a giant fucking buzzard on his arm, and they're playing like this dark, creepy sting music, and he's he's not got the full long hair yet, you know. It just immediately took me back to all the times Tim dropping from the rafter. So if you're a fan of Sting, this was a cool moment for, for sure. He looks like he's in pretty good shape, specifically for his age. Um, I don't think that he's going to be used in a big wrestling role. I could see him getting involved here and there, similar to like Arn and Tully, but I don't think that they're going to have this guy out there having matches, knowing that he has spinal stenosis and, and knowing his health problems. But he doesn't have to be. That's the thing about Sting, and that's that's what made this so cool and so great. And uh, the way he looks back at the ring and the snow like flies by him after this little in-ring segment was just such a great shot. As far as like wrestling cinematography goes, it's uh, it was awesome. And I marked out, and I completely didn't even think about the fact that Sting might show up here, just because it it. I, to me, the big get for this show was Omega versus Moxley. I did not expect Sting to show up before their match. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I, <laughs> I didn't expect it myself. Um, let's talk about a little bit about the uh, possibilities with Sting. Kind of break it down. So it's been reported um, by different outlets. Dave Metzler, same thing. That it looks like when it comes to his in-ring, you know, return, if you will, with Sting or or having some type of in-ring interaction wrestling-wise, kind of like what you're alluding to, that's going to be very minimal. Um, he has not gotten a certain surgery uh, for his spinal stenosis because if he does get that, he definitely can't wrestle. And I don't know the exact details of, of, of why that is, but I've known that that's been a thing for a while of that's held him off from getting that surgery. Uh, I know that's that he probably wants to do something. If they do a situation though, he's not going to take any bumps. That's the biggest thing. I think Dave Metzler said that there's not going to be bumps taken like Arn does basically. And Arn honestly, even say, seeing him recently, he's been taking more and more bumps it does kind of scare me. I mean, there was a time where, you know, he barely got smacked and he couldn't feel his fucking arm that caused his early retirement. So, but these wrestlers, I think, know their body better than anyone else. Spinal stenosis is not something to fucking mess with. But the concept of Team Taz, you know, you have Brian Cage, Ricky Starks, and uh, Powerhouse Hobbs going against Darby Allen, Cody, and Sting. You could have Sting do more of a management role and kind of be that and have Dustin take his place if they wanted to. But if you have limited action, you could have Sting still tagging if they wanted to do that. Um, or if they want to save like one final match for maybe him and Cody. Um, that's more of Sting's way of going out the way that he wanted to because – he doesn't have a problem. He said this many times. He doesn't blame, blame Seth Rollins. He blames himself for saying he'd do things. Um, because if you look at the fucking match with Seth Rollins, Sting was acting like he was in his goddamn 20s. He was doing springboards to the outside. He went through a goddamn announce table. And then the end of it with the two, uh, you know, uh, buckle bombs. Obviously, the move's dangerous regardless, but he has, you know, said a million times that the way that he handled that second time in the turnbuckle, it was his bad that caused the injury, which is what happened. 
inevitably that stopped his career at WWE. With Seth, he doesn't blame him, and even though he doesn't mind having his last match with Seth Rollins, kind of giving him that nod, he doesn't like the way it happened, and he wishes that he could control his own destiny. He said that many times. So I'm wondering, I think what it, it is is that we'll get like a three-on-three. Three. Sting will have kind of like what when Brett was in the Survivor Series match, you know, uh, however many years back, 2010-ish, I think. Sting will get in, he'll do a couple things, he'll do his main stuff, and that will be it. Maybe he gets a win for the team. But I think this is actually going to be him and Darby Allen. And I think that even though Darby, uh, this could have happened with Jeff Hardy if he came there because of the comparisons that Jim Ross was saying, uh, that a lot of people were saying with him and Jeff Hardy. But Cody's been comparing, if, whenever he's on commentary or, or interviewed, he's been comparing Darby to Sting. His feud with Darby Allen is very Ric Flair and Sting. It has been this whole entire time. I mean, they even mimicked the championship of him getting the TNT title from Cody with the first time with the draw compared to, you know, 88's Starcade. I mean, it's, it's, it's so, or Clash of Champions, I forgot which one it was, but it's so similar, it's ridiculous. So the booking, there is that. And even if Darby wasn't maybe the biggest Sting fan or he appreciates a compliment, but he's never really considered it like that, that was a huge moment for him. And he was – this will be something big for him. I really think this is going to be Batman with his son Damian Wayne. That's that's a way that I look at it in a, in a comic concept. Um, what do you think really, reality-wise, what do you think Sting's going to be doing since he's going to be a part of the company – for a multi-year contract, and he's going to be on the program pretty regularly. I don't know what he's going to be doing long-term, but I'm assuming this is leading to a heel Cody Rhodes. I, I think all the signs have been there for heel Cody Rhodes for a while. Um, and if Arn starts getting involved in the match, maybe that will make Sting pay close attention to Darby Allen. And we'll end up with, you know, Sting up in the rafters with Darby or doing these weird video montages with Darby. And I think they could do that and make it cool, if done right. Um, I know for a fact we're going to know more next week. <laughs> because whatever Sting comes out and addresses, uh, I think is going to give us a good roadmap of where they're going to go. But being that this was his first appearance, with it being Darby, Arn, and Cody for, for the main part. I mean, I know Dustin was there, but the main focus was around Arn, Cody, and Darby, in my opinion. It looks like it's building up. Furthering the feud between Darby and Cody for that title and having Arn in one corner and Sting in the other, at least for the first thing he's going to do. Now, where he goes from there, I don't know. That's uh, interesting. Uh, maybe they put him in as... He has been an authority figure before in Impact. He could do something like that. Uh... Like you said, I mean, if, if they want to do like a Survivor Series, I mean, they haven't done Blood and Guts. They got put off. Maybe he could be involved in that to some extent and just clear house with a baseball bat and, and take a pin um, or just end the match, you know, uh, however they want to do that. There's ways to work him into a match without him taking any bumps, uh, like 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 you said, like they did with Bret Hart. Um, and if this is all one setup, if he wants to have one last match to go out against Cody at, you know, being friends with Dusty and, and working with Dusty for so long and knowing Cody growing up and Cody being one of his biggest fans, if that's what this is leading to, then that's awesome. Uh, if Sting feels like he can have one more match, I have enough respect to think Sting knows his body probably better than me. 
right? He looked like he was in pretty good shape. And uh, hell, Sheamus has had spinal stenosis for what seems like two years now, and he's still working. And Daniel Bryan has come back from it. Uh, I think if Edge. done right, Edge, uh, if done right, and he's doing the right treatments and stuff, there's there's not a reason why he couldn't have one more match if he wanted to. So I'm not going to say that that's impossible. Uh, but for right now, I think the usage is going to be probably him and Dar- Darby's corner and, you know, Arn and Cody's corner with more of a heel Cody Rhodes. It's so funny that you said that because that's exactly where my mind went. And I have it written down. Uh, Arn and Cody turn question mark. So what I see happening, and I don't know if this will exactly happen. Uh, this is my prediction. We're going to have Team Taz. There's going to be some type of tag match set up in the future after Sting, you know, probably sides with Cody and, and Darby or whatever. Three on three. Sting has minimal, you know, interactions inside the ring, but maybe he gets the big win at the end of it. Scorpion death drop, one, two, three. Put that over. Then you kind of have it like they're an entity together, you know, uh, Cody, Darby, and Sting. It's Cody's favorite wrestler. Darby's his, you know, one of his his favorite new toys coming up in there, and he might have lost the title, but he really likes Darby and sees a lot of himself in him, that whole thing. And then at some point, Arn and Cody just turn on them. I don't know if you want to interact. Now FTR, bring out Tully, kind of do a horseman concept. If you're going to do that, and maybe Sean or whoever, if if Arn and fucking Cody turn on Sting and Darby and you have this new horseman-like group with Tully and Arn calling the shots, beating the shit out of these two guys, you know, and obviously Sting doesn't have to take, like, bumps or anything like that. Like, I'm talking him falling and them, you know, fucking doing kicks to him or whatever. Cody turns heel. Him and Darby Allen really step it up. You have Arn on one side. You have... Sting in the other, and inevitably, if they want to do this, if Sting wants to go out the way that he wants to go out, Sting has a match with Cody. He puts Cody over, even if he's the heel in it. One, two, three, Sting's gone, and a very well-worked match they could do. And that's it for him in ring. So that's that's two matches. And afterwards, he's more of a mentor towards Darby, or if they get past that, like you said, they can use him as an authority figure. You know, there, there, there's lots of aspects. If you want to bring the Joker sting back and do some wacky shit of him, you know, fucking up stuff or maybe I don't know. You, you can do stuff with Sting as a character on the show and then also to have him as an added bonus along with all their fucking agents they have like Dean Malenko and Jerry Lynn and 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 uh, so many more uh, Billy Gunn. If Sting wants to help behind the scenes too. And then also be a character there. It's going to be awesome. But I'm looking so forward to hearing Tony Schiavone interview Sting next week. Um, but yeah, that's that's uh, that that's what I think they could probably do. Uh, is a possibility that's realistic with Sting booking wise, fantasy booking, if you will, Chris. I would say long term. Let's say all of the elite turns heel and they're trying to take over or let's say they side with Kenny Omega with what's about to happen after this match. And you almost have this Don Callis led faction invading. You mean 
You mean Callus is Eric Bischoff and the Bullet Club gets back together throughout promotions? Yes. And Sting ends up having to be the leader of Team AEW down the road. I think that Ooh. could be the, the next place you could go with this. With his with his stint in Impact and being a Hall of Famer from Impact and knowing what goes on there. And Sting is just the ultimate... I mean, he was the most anti-NWO guy, right? So if you're going to do an invasion angle, wouldn't it make sense that Sting would be the leader? The head honcho? That's awesome. Um, so I would love to see them do something like that, especially if we're going to be, if they are, which we'll talk about next, but if they are going the route of we're going to have invasion, because my thought is, I never thought Kenny Omega is the one that attacked John Moxley, and now it's seemingly like maybe it was someone like Sammy Callahan or someone from Impact, right? Oh, I would love Sammy Callahan. Yeah, because um, besides John Moxley and him killing each other in the inevitable match that will happen <laughs> but uh, uh I, I could see them doing something like that Kingston, man oh jesus christ just give them as many thumbtacks as they want in that fucking setting um it, i mean that could be a scenario too is that you know if it, 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 that's what is this what makes this such a great show is it's back to back with yeah. so many mind-blowing things like, All even right. if you're not an AEW fan, watch the last hour of the show. You'll see the really good tag match, the Sting um, the sting appearance that we've been talking about, as well as a really good uh, title match, a really long but good title match, and kind of a mind-blowing thing we haven't seen in wrestling in a long time. Yep. All right, so to close out the Sting thing, I kind of... I'm not trying to throw shade at WWE, but they really fucked up with the whole Sting thing. They could have made that bigger than it was. They obviously, at least Vince, did not look as Sting in the light that most wrestling fans do because he wasn't a WWE guy. He should never have gone against fucking Triple H at Mania. And if he, if he did, he should have gone over. Obviously, the ideal concept since he went against Bray Wyatt, Undertaker, and Sting. That's why if Sting loses, it's the fucking Undertaker at WrestleMania. And it's unfortunate what happened with him and Seth, but he was never going to win the fucking title anyways. So I just, um, you know, between, I just think that, that, that Vince has to be in a really shitty place right now. Between AEW doing their thing, especially now involving other companies, and it looks like we could have, like I like I like I have said in the past, maybe a return of a territory like system. Uh, his right hand man, Pat Patterson, passed away. You know, I hate to include that, but it's kind of true. Um, you know, and their ratings are depleting, at least on Raw, his their flagship show, if you will. Uh, SmackDown's doing well. They don't take NXT seriously enough uh, to do anything, and you can just tell Vince is getting fucking old. I mean, he's almost 80 at this point. I an Undertaker's done, so he doesn't have that anymore either. Like, of course, there's the break glass if needed possibility that Mark already said that he probably would step back in if Vince asked him to. But Vince apparently is adamant that he's not going to ask Taker to come back. So with all that, you know, collectively, with what happens at the end of the night, would Sting, 
Do you think finally Vince is kind of like, fuck? Or do you think that he's so confident? Not that someone is going to come and out-crown him, but that someone could be a main rival of his or several companies with this large company of AEW could be a main rival of his. So the craziest thing to me about the Vince, let's just salt, let's say the Vince scenario, is that financially, WWE has been the least impacted by this. Their ability, they're actually saving money by not running these huge live shows uh, that they normally run town from town. And they have those built-in contracts with Fox and USA for both NXT as well as, uh, you know, uh, Raw and SmackDown on their opposite networks. I don't know that Vince is seeing this as a big picture other than like, oh, we lost in the ratings as far as NXT goes. I, to me, NXT is defense. It's just to draw viewers away from AEW. Like that yep. is, is how he's treating it. Um, the problem is when you start looking at that tag division and how many great tag teams are going to be there, if impact in AW starts switching talent and if the world opens up even further and someone like new Japan gets involved or if ring of honor, you know, six months down the road, if they decide they also want to get involved in this, you're not fighting one company, not, you know, not all fans of ring of honor watch AEW. Not all fans of Impact watch AEW. They may not watch, you know, Raw or SmackDown at all. You know, like there's things that you should think about in the bigger picture. Do I think that Vince is affected by this right now? I mean, he's probably a little pissed off that Sting decided not to re-sign his Legend deal and they can't sell his merch anymore. <laughs> but I don't know that he's, uh, I don't know that it's affected him yet. I think if AEW can consistently be over a million with raw being at like 1.6 right now. It's going to cause problems down the line for Vince financially, especially when they go to renegotiate some of these TV contracts. Um, it's, it's weird being, being, being Vince McMahon is weird in general, right? You've been at the top for so long. You're a publicly traded company. It, uh, it's kind of like being a mom and pop shop versus Walmart. I'm not saying that Tony Khan doesn't have money, but like in comparison to just AEW as a business versus WWE as a business, they're very different things. Um, so do do I think that Vince is probably a little pissed off? Yeah, I don't know that it changes anything he's doing. I think what he's doing with uh, Roman right now is great. Mm-hmm. You know the stuff he's been booking with Roman. I mean, my thought process is like. What Vince is probably doing right now is like, how much money is it going to take to get Dwayne versus Roman at fucking Mania? Right? Yeah. <laughs> like that. That's that to me. You know, Vince he books to Mania, so you know he's like, okay, you brought Sting back, but if I bring back The Rock, I mean, sorry, The Rock is The Rock is a bigger draw than Sting. I love Sting. I like Sting better than The Rock personally, as far as like if I was putting them in a list of ten of my favorite wrestlers. Uh, but you know, the rock is the fucking rock. <laughs> it's he kind of expands beyond wrestling in a way that sting doesn't necessarily translate to. Uh, so, I mean, that's my thought is you're, you're pissing on Vince's doorstep a little bit. 
So if anything, it just pissed him off, and he's going to be trying to do something big and outrageous and bring someone back of his own. I don't think it'll be Taker. Uh, you did touch on that Mania match with Triple H. Why the hell mm-hmm. didn't they just make that a multi-man tag match? Like Sting, Taker, and Kane versus DX or something. Since they just all got DX and NWO involved anyways. If that was the fucking end goal to that match, why not just do a tag match? Why was Sting fucking helping or getting help from the NWO? Why? What? How the hell does that even? That's like Austin getting help from the corporation. I made no fucking goddamn it. I don't even want to get into it. But what I <laughs> what I will say, uh, to now ended on, even though I said that last time, is that it just it's not just Sting. It's like it's Sting. It's the concept of of a lot of smaller companies that. You know, smaller to him, but Impact, New Japan, you know, Ring of Honor, AEW, uh, the fact that Pat passed away, the fact that Taker is done, the fact that, uh, you know, he's getting called out now for all the stuff involved with, uh, you know, third party whatever and, and, and this new – people are looking out at him for, you know, getting rid of Selena Vega, all that type of stuff uh, mixed with the, even though – USA and, 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 and Fox have paid him. The fact that USA's numbers deplete on both the shows that they have. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that Vince, for his age, has to be fucking stressed out. And I will end it in this concept that we're talking about the rub with Darby Allen and, uh, and uh, what's called Sting. And all that, that face-off, all that did for Darby Allen, I heard a story, and this kind of, you know, kind of goes into whatever – we were talking about when Paul Heyman was in charge, he wanted some type of interaction with Aleister Black and The Undertaker. And that got turned down by management, a.k.a. Vince McMahon, from what I would gather. But if you remember the match that Aleister finally beat AJ in uh, last year, I think it was at Extreme Rules or one of those stupid like extra pay-per-views. Uh, you know, AJ was call- having that, that feud with Alistair, but he was calling out The Undertaker. He had, whatchamacallit, uh, the OC uh, with him. And you had a hardcore match between the two of them. The OC got involved. They were roughing up Alistair Black. Lights go out, lights go on. Undertaker's choking them both out, uh, throws them out, and then, or gives them a double choke slam. And then I think gave a tombstone or a choke slam to AJ. Lights go off, lights go on. And Aleister Black gets the Black Mass, one, two, three. If you just add it in there, and obviously Vince, I don't think, sees much in Black, but Paul Heyman saw a lot in him. And I don't know if Paul wanted to do this, but it sounds like from what Paul wanted to push for an interaction, if you had that same exact scenario, he double choke slams fucking Gals and Anderson, they roll out, he looks AJ down, he's about to do something, maybe AJ just gets a little bit ahead of Undertaker for whatever reason. Gals and Anderson come in. They all try to, like, triple-team him. Taker's, you know, coming back. And now Aleister Black gets back up and fucking kicks just, like, a double black mass to two of the Gals and Anderson. And then Taker fucking tombstones AJ. And you just have, like, a staring moment with the two of them. How much would that have helped Aleister Black's fucking career? Just Undertaker and Aleister Black staring at each other, like you had with Sting and Darby Allin. It would have done a lot. And it just that's another fucking separate concept with Selena Vega, the lack of what they're doing with Aleister Black just pisses me off, especially seeing 
the nod and the way they did it right, I think, with AEW with Darby Allen and Sting. Sorry. Yeah, there I mean there there's key differences though, because no one knew that Taker was done. Right? And they always put Taker in matches against other stars that don't need a rub, honestly. Like, how is he gonna give a rub to Roman? Like he could have gave a rub to heel Roman. Um but like babyface Roman, like, you know, some of the matches he had, like Brock Lesnar's already a huge deal, right? I mean, Brock beating Taker was a big moment. It, they've just always treated Undertaker as an unstoppable monster. And that's how he's booked. Whereas with Sting knowing that, you know, his dissension from WWE kind of his career was pretty much ended in the ring in a WWE match. And it being the first time back on TNT and Tony Schiavone, like, I I don't know that that's something you can recreate with The Undertaker. But if you were going to do it, it would have to be someone, like you said, like Aleister Black, someone that wasn't already a star on your main roster. And that's something they've never really accomplished with Taker. I think the only the only time they really tried it with was with Bray Wyatt. And I don't know that he was. He was not the guy to have the match against The Undertaker. Like, that WrestleMania match they had was not good. Um, but someone like Aleister Black, that that would be the one time I think it would work. The problem is, is they've never booked Taker like that. He's always going against another big star who is a great in-ring performer because they want Taker's matches to look good at Mania. So it's just, I don't know, apples and oranges, I guess. Well, yeah, but I'm 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 saying a little bit differently. I'm just saying that some type of interaction during that exact match with Aleister Black and Undertaker kind of like taking out the OC and Undertaker. He's already helping out fucking Black at the one with AJ, but them actually taking them out together and just having a little stare off would have helped out Aleister Black in a similar way that I think just Sting and Darby Allen don't have to get in the ring together. He doesn't have to actually put him over, but giving him the rub of the stare off between the two of them puts a thought in people's heads and helps out Darby Allen more so than a lot of stuff can, like match accomplishments, basically. Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, the big thing with tight Taker, though, is if he has a stare off with anyone, you assume that he's having a match with them, because that's how they always yeah. put Taker. <laughs> Good but point. That's, I mean, that's the only downfall there, but like. They, there's lots of ways they could have gotten there over the years with different people, and they didn't take advantage of it. Um, who knows? Taker could come back and do that. Maybe Karrion uh, Cross when he hits the main roster. Maybe that'll be Taker showing up and choke slamming someone, and then you get that rub that you're talking about. Now that we know Taker is done. I think Taker is going to be. He's going to be. I think Taker will be at NXT in the next like year working with people, and I think that Karrion Cross is someone he's going to specifically want to work with or be paired with. Um, that's just my opinion on that. But yeah, I the Darby Allen Sting thing, it's cool. The but the, the the whole comparison is based off the face paint. Like their characters oh, yeah. aren't similar, other than Darby sitting way ass up in the bleachers. Uh, <laughs> but it would be cool. I'm just saying it would be cool if Arn Anderson and Cody do turn on Sting and Darby and they're paired together. The next time they show up, they're both in the rafters and Sting has the vulture with Darby Allen. Like, you know, I'm just saying, man, it's Batman and Robin if you want it to be. Um, I, I agree. I think that will be awesome. 
Um, and that is seemingly the route they're going to be going. I don't see them getting away from that. No. All right. So uh, the two interviews that we have, we had Alex Marvez with Kurosheda. And Kurosheda tries to tell Alex Marvez that she's not scared of Abaddon and she's ready to take on whoever. And then she hears something fall in the background and she freaks out a bit. And then she asks, asks Alex if they can redo the interview. And he's like, no, it's live. And she's like, well, never mind. I got to go. And then Moxley sets up uh, for the match later on. And, uh, you know, notably the end of the whole entire promo, uh, he talks about that the main event is going to be banana. So that was a little nod to Pat Patterson, but awesome fucking promo from John Moxley. Like always, uh, what do you think about those two interviews and is, uh, her Kurushita, it sounds, it, it seems to me that Abaddon could be the champion, uh, very soon. That's what they're kind of setting up at least. I'm not a huge fan of the way that they've booked her as being someone who will look at someone like Nyla Rose and just demolish her to being scared of Abaddon right off the bat. Uh, But I will say this is one of the more charismatic interviews Sakura Shida has given. She's like, why would I be scared of someone in cosplay? I like to do cosplay. And then immediately (laughs) something drops in the background and she gets scared. Like, I... I get it. And, you know, putting the belt on Abaddon, not necessarily a bad move. I feel like that lets Sheeta work back to the rest of that female roster. And if Thunder Rosa is officially signed with AEW and Serena Deeves is there, which we know is signed, and Britt Baker is starting to get a push, now you have someone that they can go after who's not really a babyface or a heel, just kind of a weirdo. So (laughs) there's a lot of matches you can set up out of that. So uh, I like that interaction, and uh, John Moxley, great as always. Good promo, got me excited for the match that I was already excited for. Um, this guy hasn't cut a bad promo since being in AEW. No, he hasn't. All right, so let's get to the main event. Don Callis joins, special uh, guest commentary, and they duped us because, you know, this is the first time they did it that we'd be like, wait, why the fuck is Don Callis on commentary? But we already talked about it. You know, he was at the pay-per-view with the match with him and Hangman for that outcome. And Don Callis presented, if people didn't know, which had been presented in New Japan. A lot of viewers that watch all this shit, they already knew this. But that Don basically, you know, was trained by uh, the Golden Sheik. And that is Kenny Omega's uh, godfather and uncle. And uh, he's kind of like, he's always, he's known Kenny since he was like a little kid. He fell out of it, you know, once he became a teenager and kind of came back into his life later on, you know, but has been a mentor for him. He obviously worked for New Japan at the same time Kenny did. You know, they have a relationship. They're both from, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Winnipeg, Canada. There's a lot of stuff between the two of them. And with having that last time, it already broke that ice and kind of made us go, ooh, maybe Impact and AEW. But, you know, maybe Don Callis is just coming here and, you know, Tony's being cordial and this is adhering to Kenny's request or something like that. That's also a possibility. But, um, yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> and what would happen at the end of it, another thing, very much like the, the match was, I thought, especially, you know, given the circumstance of what people think of John Moxley, it was one of Moxley's better actual in-ring matches. And I thought him and Kenny beat the living fuck out of each other. 
like another situation, live rounds, uh, especially the slapping contest. Uh, but this was, I thought, a good championship match, and it might get a little bit, you know, taken back by what happened afterwards. But uh, basically, two guys, I mean, they had a gentleman's agreement that there would be no craziness. There would be no, like, you know, overly anything. And right off the bat, what does Moxley do? He knocks Kenny around, and then he goes and grabs two chairs. And he tosses them in the ring. Ref's like, what the hell are you doing? You have Tony is like, I thought there was a gentleman's agreement. You know, this is brought up a bunch. And he puts them both, you know, facing each other, sits on one, and tells Kenny to get in the other one. And they start slapping the shit out of each other. And I think it was like the second slap. He slapped Kenny in the fucking ear. It looks so painful. And then they start live rounds, punching each other, just knocking each other. And this match was good because it displayed Moxley as a brawler, but also being powerful and being able to keep up with stuff and just showed how it reminded me, honestly, of a New Japan match. Uh, the way that it, you know, and I know that JR got aggravated and a lot of like wrestling fans would get aggravated too, is like, you know, when they went outside and they were, you know, fighting around everywhere and shit like that. And the referee kept on trying to get them back in the ring. And JR's like, you know, well, what the hell? Just get in the ring and, and do the 10 count. That's the same thing Red Shoes would do, Tiger Tori, trying to keep the match from going. And you have like the two wrestling participants like shoving the referee out of the fucking way. This being Moxley. But them letting it go because it's a championship match. It's such a big match. And they get in the ring. I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, all the spots. My favorite one, or one of my favorite ones, is one of the first V-triggers that Kenny finally got when he was in his ass kicked by Moxley. He gets thrown outside, and Moxley goes to do his 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 uh, suicide dive. And fucking Kenny just nails him with a goddamn one-wing angel. Or not one-wing angel, I'm sorry. With a V-trigger. Several V-triggers later, I mean, at one point, they had another, like, you know, square off, and they're hitting each other, and Kane just smacks them with a fucking V-trigger. I love the node. Uh, by the way, also, separate from this, we got a lot of, uh, you know, nods to Okada and bringing him up. Uh, with Frank Kazarian, one of the things that JR put him over was that he a- he has a win against Kazuchika Okada, like how prestigious that is. Um, with Kenny... Kenny actually did the whole entire taunt that Okada does when he's about to do the Rainmaker, except for he does his spinning V-trigger instead. Uh, And then Moxley got the upper hand over Kenny and went outside. He did, I mean, he did the paradigm shift and, and, and Kenny got out of that. He did the high elevated and Kenny got out of that. He brought him outside and did it to a heating unit and, and, this was really smart. This actually got me for a second. It was like, oh, shit, that wasn't supposed to happen because Don Callis gets involved. Everyone's, like, checking on Kenny. And then, obviously, I knew that it was bull- or that it was a work when uh, Moxley comes, and he's like, fuck this, and he grabs him, takes him in the ring. And then you see Don going and asking for the microphone. He's getting really, really, like, you know, freaking out. And he's like, he's hurt. He's hurt. What the heck? What are you doing? And then John Moxley nails him. And when that happens... He tosses the mic towards Kenny. Kenny picks it up while the referee's back is or back is turned. He fucking just nails John Moxley in the head with it, with the microphone. And this is when Tony and everyone, like JR, all start turning on Kenny. Like, wait, what the hell's going on? Why is Don Callis all of a sudden like he's fine? He's smiling. And he's like, 
clapping for Kenny. You know, I thought this was a gentleman's agreement. Tony said that like a million fucking times. And then uh, Kenny gets him up, one wing angel, one, two, three. He's the new champion. And then Don Callis comes and he grabs him and he gets him the fuck out of there. They go past Tony Khan. Tony's like, Don, what the hell? What are you doing? And like just goes past him, ghosts him, Jerry Lynn, which is very cool because if, if people know Kenny, Jerry Lynn is one of his idols. That's one of his uh, favorite wrestlers. And, uh, you know, he'd be like, Kenny, what are you doing? Like, you know, pushes him out of the way, basically. And they get to the car. Alex Marvez is is asking, like, you know, Don, what the hell happened? What What is going on? And Don Callis says, you'll find out next Tuesday. And Alex Marvez goes, but Dynamite's on Wednesday. And he goes, you'll find out next Tuesday on Impact. You know, uh, tune in. Um, and that was the way they went off. They got in the fucking SUV and got the hell out of there quicker than hell. And they kind of reflected it. JR called it a screw job. So they're kind of trying to make it look like Kenny took the belt and got the fuck out of there with Don Callis. Back to Impact Wrestling. And we'll go into the breakdown of what could happen from that. But your initial reaction of the match itself and then the aftermath that happened with Don Callis and Kenny Omega. I thought this was a great match. Um, The suicide died spot that you're talking about where he hit that first V trigger and throws Moxie in the ring and just hits him with like three more and then goes for that tiger driver was great. I love Moxley just so tempted to just end this man's life with these chairs only to remember it's a gentleman's agreement. Cause he's a good guy <laughs> puts him in the chair. They start slapping and chopping the shit out of each other only for, you know, Omega to kind of be chicken shit and stand up and V trigger him. Um, some really good sh- psychology. I mean, Moxley took a lot of the match, but Kenny came on very strong at the end. Uh, we got the term, the terminator, uh, dive by Omega. Um, just all of the spots you would want to see. I love the, the you know, shout out to uh, Okada, or maybe not a shout out, maybe an insult to Okada. Who knows? See what the future has for us. Uh, <laughs> into that, you know, the uh, ripcord V trigger. I'm so glad Seth Rollins isn't doing that anymore because after seeing Omega do it again, I'm glad that Seth put that one into the vault. Um, yeah, and I, the buildup was great for the finish. Like, it, you know, Kenny faking that he's really, really hurt. Don Callis coming down, um, yelling that he's hurt into the microphone. He takes, like, one shot from, uh, he takes one shot from, like you said, he took one shot from Moxley, and then he just tosses the mic in the ring, and all of a sudden, Kenny's fine. Busts Moxley in the head with the mic, busts him open. Hits the one winged angel, which no one is no one has uh, broken out of on AEW. They did a good job of pointing that out. Gets the pin, gets the fuck out of there. Um, the only thing that was a little bit weird, and I think this is maybe because they didn't know how long they wanted this match to run, was oh, Eddie, yeah. Kingston, Eddie Kingston just starts cutting a promo at the very end, which I think may have been they mu- they may have taped that match, and it might be on next week's show because. Uh, there's I guess next week's show is taped from what I've heard. So if you thought that was a little weird, you're not the only person. I also thought that was weird, but um, definitely going to tune in to impact next week. I'm curious to see what he has to say. <laughs> All right. So let's go over a couple things I jotted down from this with impact. 
I mean, this is a huge thing for them, obviously. Now, I, I agree with everyone. This is the bigger advantage is for Impact from this relationship with AEW uh, because AEW is a bigger force. But if you look at Impact's roster, what they have with their tag division and their women's division, that actually, I don't know, there's a lot of appeal of what could happen from this relationship. What we know is Dave Metzler, I haven't heard anything new as of today from from the uh, Wrestling Observer, but from what he says that this sets up a relationship that he thinks could build to a pay-per-view, and he was kind of saying, you know, if you're going to do blood and guts, why not do it where you have Impact versus AEW in some type of way, and then kind of maybe do other matches based around that same type of premise, if they wanted to, uh, co-branded pay-per-view would also not take away from the amount of pay-per-views that AEW said they were going to do. This would be them and Impact working together. But how's Impact going to handle this? You, you know, what the fuck is, is is Don Callis? You know, we know that Scott Demore and Don Callis are the two heads. Scott Demore is always, you know, Don Callis will come and do commentary for the pay-per-views, but he's behind the scenes almost always there. Scott Demore is more the authority figure on television. Is Scott going to be like, what the fuck, Don? Like, who the hell, why are you bringing Kenny Omega here? You know, storyline-wise, uh, is Rick Swan going to say something? Is Kenny going to be like a bell collector? He's already got a, the major title from AEW and AAA. Could next week, you know, something be on the line where Kenny calls out Rick Swan, says, I'll put my title on the line against your title, and then like that, he has the fucking Impact title, the AEW title, and the Triple Mania title. Is there going to be repercussions from this? We know that next Saturday he's going against the Laredo Kid for the uh, the Triple H uh, Championship at Triple Mania. Is Moxley going to be there to fuck over Kenny? You know, could they involve that in the storyline? They could. Uh, even though Tony Khan shot down... The rumors that uh, John Moxley, and I believe Tony most of the time for face value because he's a lot more upfront and not kayfabe about it, but he said that, that Moxley basically is not going to be going and defending the title at, at uh, Wrestle Kingdom, the U.S. title, that Kent is supposed to be going against him for. So I don't know if that's bullshit or not, but if, if he does, could Kenny fuck him over? Like, what could they do with this? You have Gallows and Anderson who are the tag champions. Uh, the, the Wrestling Inc. said that all they know is that the two things that's going to happen with the relationship of Impact and AEW as of right now is that Kenny will have some type of involvement with Impact and that Gallows and Anderson most likely will have a feud with the Young Bucks. Champions, champions. So could this end up in a pay-per-view like Dave Metzler is stating? I don't know. Uh, I love this. I love that. Dave was talking about how he kind of saw Don wanting to do this a long time ago with Kenny because Don, uh, in his part of Canada, kind of grew up watching a uh, AWA and loved the relationship between Bobby Heenan and Nick Bockwinkle. And he assumed that some of this might be, you know, based off of that old concept of Don Callis being the Heenan to Kenny's Bockwinkle. And uh, shortly after that, Don Callis posted a picture of the two of them uh, together. So, you know, of, of Bachwinkle and, and Keenan. So this is this is apparently has been 
in the works from what the Young Bucks said in an interview like a day or two ago for a couple months. They've just been trying to figure out – or no, for a while. They've just been trying to figure out how to fit it in. They have fit it in. We'll go into the bigger concept scenarios involving other wrestling organizations, but what do you think just specifically with Kenny Omega on Impact and Impact and AEW, Chris? Oh, man, that's a lot to dive into. I will say that Don Callis has changed his name to the Invisible Hand on Twitter. <laughs> so he is the man, pulling all of this, he's the man pulling all the strings. Um, uh, someone said, sorry, not to interrupt you, but someone tweeted, did Don Callis just say wrestling again? Oh, no, it was, <laughs> did Don Callis just say wrestling? And he said, again, explanation point. So uh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Um, it's a lot to unload. So I love Dave's idea of it being a pay-per-view. I hope if they're going to do an invasion angle, if they're going to really drag this out and make it a huge deal that they take the time to build it. I think they will. Um, this needs to be something that's maybe six months out a year out with lots of interaction between both brands. I think this is great for AEW. Some people that haven't seen a lot of TV time as of late, someone like, let's say, Jungle Boy, like, would get Jungle Boy some time on Impact. There's lots of good wrestlers that he could wrestle over there. Um, the 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 thought of them being able to trade tag teams, the, the Motor City Machine Guns against the Young Bucks, you know, FTR versus the Good Brothers again in a match that will actually mean something. Um, the North. <laughs> versus FTR like there's so many great matches you can build between these two rosters that I mean that's the thing I'm most excited about but the storyline itself is very intriguing I can definitely see uh see see the uh see the resemblance that you called out earlier it's I guess the biggest thing is my my thought was they had to get the title off Moxley because he is dropping the United States title in New Japan um, it's not booked on the card. The only two matches on the Wrestle Kingdom card right now is Naito versus Ibushi and Okada versus Will Ospreay, which are the two big matches. And then on night two, you have Naito or Kota Ibushi versus Jay White. So those are the only things we know as of right now on the Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. Card. Do you believe? Do you believe Tony's statement? Because he said that at the uh, the um, press conference for Winter's Coming that. Moxley's not going to be facing Kenta at Wrestle Kingdom. I feel like that's bullshit. I think it was a little bit of kayfabe because if he says that he is facing him, it comes off like he's got to drop the title because they're not going to let their champion lose. Ah, good point. Right. And, that, and that's what I've been saying the entire time. So I'm assuming that either night one or night two, that match will be booked and he will go there and drop the title unless they're going to have a working relationship. If they're gonna have a working relationship, then Moxley having that title, it doesn't, it's not that big of a deal. But um, he hasn't defended the thing in a year almost, so it's probably time to drop it or strip it from him. I mean, Japan could just strip it from him, I guess technically they've done that in the past. But uh, man, so many great things that could come from this. I'm excited about all the possibilities. I like the idea of Don Callis trying to take over. Maybe not even take over Tony Khan's 
company, but take over their fan base. I, th- I feel like there's a lot of ways that you can do this. I like the idea of Kenny Omega as the title collector uh, if he goes over and wins an impact. And having the favor of Don Callis, who's their head booker, he could be put in a lot of situations where he could succeed very easily and you can build some good feuds there. I guess the, the real question is how often do you want Omega wrestling in both Canada and Florida flying back and forth, I guess. Or I guess they're not in Canada right now, right? They're in are they filming in Tennessee again? Tennessee, I believe, still. Okay. Yeah, so maybe that maybe it's not that bad then. Um interesting stuff. I mean, what does this mean for someone like a moose? Or a Sammy Callahan, or an Eddie Edwards, um, or hell, even Eric Young, you know, who just came back into the picture, having Kenny Omega, I would say one of the most popular superstars in the United States, show up on your brand. I mean, for the brand, it's a big deal, but are they just all going to be on his side if it's him versus AEW? Is he also turning on the the bullet, or is he turning on the elite? Is that group dead? I guess. <laughs> I know, man. I'm I've, I've been just uh, thinking about all this stuff, scratching my 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 head like a crackhead. Uh, just, I mean, yeah. If if it gets past this, or we at least have between Impact and AEW, we just keep it at that. You have the Young Bucks, Cody. Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers over at Impact that are what makes up, you know, uh, at least a good chunk of uh, the Bullet Club. And, like, could this be a situation where Kenny, like you said, like an NWA, uh, NWO type of concept where Kenny comes back on Impact, he's got the Good Brothers, and you think that, you know, the Young Bucks are going to come out and be like, what the hell? And they're with Cody, and they go to the ring, and then the fucking Bucks jump Cody, and all of them are together as a Bullet Club or something. You know, this opens up so much stuff. Uh, possibilities for matches. I mean, you have, I love that. Right away, uh, when this happened, Cash Wheeler put Motor City Machine Guns, just tweeted that. So he would love to go against them is what he's saying. But Scott Dawson, his tag team partner, put the North because he's been talking about that for a long time. You have some great fucking tag teams you can do uh, between the two companies. Just so much potential. I mean, LAX obviously has been back and forth with them. Uh, but the women's division, you know, you got Deanna Perrazzo, you got, you could have Rosemary. If Abaddon beats uh, Hikuro Shida, uh, you could have either Rosemary or, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, fuck, um, god damn it, the, the, the bride, I can't think of her damn name, Sue Young, you know, maybe they'll have a monster versus monster thing. And then NWA, this involvement that they, you know, if you look at this, Chris, you you have definite involvement with MLW, Impact, NWA, and AAA right now with AEW. Uh, Brian Pillman's going to be showing up next week on Dynamite for the first time. Uh, he's an MLW guy. He's Him and Griff Garrison are the varsity blondes. We'll nod to his father with the blondes part. Uh, they couldn't do the Hollywood thing because, you know, WWE, but whatever. I get it. Um, but he's going to be on their main product next week going against FTR. Uh, you have, obviously, we already talked, Moxley 
for New Japan is their North American champion. You have Kenny for AAA. He, he's defending their championship, the AAA Mega Champion, against Laredo Kid on Triple Mania, their biggest event. Uh, so there's involvement with all of them. Corp Bauer, who owns MLW, said there is some big deals between companies coming out in the future. Uh, he said he said there's currently an international one that's about to happen. But they have people, obviously, working with New Japan. You know, you have Tom Lawler showing up on their product and vice versa. You have uh, Rocky Romero in the American New Japan division, along with Kenta and, you know, uh, the Girls Destiny and a lot of other wrestlers. Rocky showed up on MLW's first show on Fusion to go against Tom Lawler. Uh, you have CMLL, who's always had a relationship with AAA. They're, they're rival, but they, they trade talent. Uh, New Japan, Ring of Honor, their current champion in Ring of Honor is Roosh. He's one of the top guys at CMLL. Uh, the only one, really, that is kind of by itself is Ring of Honor a bit with with the interaction with CMLL. But outside of that, they've kind of pissed off New Japan. But either way, I mean, we could have some big stuff with at least Impact, NWA, and fucking AAA with AEW. I mean, that interaction by itself is starting something, I think, bigger. You know, what if Nick Aldis comes out and calls out Kenny Omega? You know, what if he does get the impact belt and then that happens? I mean, or if Okada fucking shows up after all this shit, there is some mind blowing concepts that even though we're told impact AW smaller in comparison to what people think, I think we should think outside the fucking box. I think that, you know, the young bucks saying that they want to work with other people, Tony Khan saying from a while ago that he wants to work with other people. You know, going back to Jim Cornette's concept when Ring of Honor and New Japan sold out Massacre Square Garden, that that was a big deal, and you can never fucking basically take the dog out of the yard with it with WWE, but you can tell the dog to fucking back the fuck up or however he said it. If they all work together, they could put, if not pressure, at least a force, a territory system almost back in place with all these major organizations with AEW leading the way. It's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's 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 banana. Um so many great matches that could be brought out of just MLW Impact and uh and AEW Impact and uh MLW. I mean, there's so many great matches i mean you went through a plethora of it i mean just imagine how stacked the damn tag team division already is in uh aw and then you add in some of the great tag teams they have an impact and you can set up these classic matches i mean we haven't seen a big one yet but eventually we're going to see like four tag teams and a ladder match for this title right wouldn't that be great if motor city machine guns one of them <laughs> like there's so many great things that they can do that they haven't done yet there's big names on both rosters that I think will bring back a, a mixture of new and old fans. It's it's really cool. It's cool that you know we it seems like we've been talking about it for months and months. Uh, how these how they should get together and work together, and now stuff seems to be falling in line. So it's 
I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I mean, other than just being excited to see what Kenny has to say on Tuesday, excited to see who else interacts with Kenny Omega, who's going to be the guy that stands up for the Impact brand, or is Kenny the guy that's standing up for the Impact brand? Is he and Don Callis a leader of some sort of takeover? All of this stuff is interesting. The only thing I would say is don't blow your load in, in like 40 minutes like <laughs> WWF did with the WCW ECW invasion angle. Uh, as long as they don't do that, this should be pretty good. I'm hella looking forward to it. And there's just, I mean, between this and Sting, this is probably the biggest thing that's happened in wrestling in a long time. I mean, I guess if I had to, if I had to put it up there with something that was shocking or as shocking, maybe take her losing to Lesnar. Can you think of something else that's happened on like TV or pay-per-view that was as big of a deal in wrestling? I'll give WWE, but nowhere near as close. Uh, when they panned out and, and uh, Roman was represented by Paul Heyman would be the closest thing they have to this. And it's nowhere near as close. Yeah, and I mean, this is just such a big shocking moment. I don't think anyone, I mean, I think people saw that there would probably be some interaction between these companies, but I don't think that they, you're going to have Sting show up and then Don Callis is going to screw over Moxley. And just the way it was done was was great and very unexpected. I mean, I kind of expected Kenny Omega to win, but I thought he was just going to win. I didn't necessarily think there was going to be fuckery and that he was going to show up on Impact the next week. I don't think I could have predicted that. And if I could, I should start betting on wrestling. <laughs> yeah, man, I would love it if, you know, <sighs> I mean, this is me throwing this out in the universe and I kind of did it already and it seems to be doing OK. So I'm going to keep on going with it. But, you know, with with AW, the NWA, them having Sheena Deeb, one of their wrestlers holding their women's title. And Thunder Rosa being one of their top performers that's an NWA contracted star. Uh, Pillman with the MLW, obviously, and the interactions in the past with MJF going there. Kenny Omega with, with AAA and now Impact and Moxley with New Japan. There's already stuff there uh, between companies interacting. But if we could just have, you know, maybe like Gato and, and Rocky Romero and, and uh and Conan and fucking Court Bauer and and Billy Corgan and uh Don Callis Scott Demore and whoever runs Ring of Honor at this point, uh along with Tony Khan in a picture, and then basically kind of call out to the concept of the old, but instead it's now not territories as in states, it's territories as in the biggest promotions working together, trading talent. Uh, I, I really, I, I hope for NWA, but they've been losing so many people executive wise and wrestler wise, but that legacy, I think will always be there. What I would love my perfect scenario, you have WWE doing what they're doing. They're up North, just like they were the WWF. Uh, but then you have, all these other companies trading talent, you know, AEW stays as the top one. They can kind of be the AWA, if you will, the, the company that trades with the NWA, but still is prestigious by itself. All the other companies and maybe the NWA champion is a championship 
that works all the different places. So you have, you know, as of right now, Nick Aldis being the guy that goes and works at all the places and has his own traveling prestigious title. But AEW is, is the top title by itself. And then you have WWE. It's over there. Let's go back to the territory system in some way and have all these dream matches. And then I don't want to fucking talk about this. I'm not trying to be negative, but once Vince passes, maybe Triple H will be like, yeah, let's do that. And then try to interact WWE. But that's, The biggest, probably not going to happen. I think what I'm talking about outside of WWE has potential to happen. I think that there could be an interaction with New Japan. Shit, New Japan is now helping out. You know, we talked about that, what, two weeks ago. They're helping out All Japan and uh, Pro Wrestling Noah because of attendance over there. So they're extending their hand there. And both Mexican companies, they work together. All the... American companies with NWA, Impact, Ring of Honor, MLW, and of course, AEW. I think there's a possibility for this to be as big as what I am projecting, Chris. Yeah, I, it definitely does. I mean, just there's so many possibilities. And, and to me, it, it always comes back to Omega versus Okada, right? <laughs> And whether or not we'll ever get that again, but we need if, to. If Kenny is the title collector, it would almost be better if Abushi runs through both nights at Wrestle Kingdom, and Kenny comes to collect, and then you get the Golden Lovers versus each other, which would be fucking incredible if you want to do a big blockbuster match that no one would be expecting in Japan. That would be great. There's just so much good stuff they could do. I can easily see this fleshing out more. I, I know that everyone has always been tempered on this, like, but if you're a company like MLW or your Ring of Honor, Ring of Honor has Sinclair. Impact obviously is not backed as much as, as Ring of Honor at, as, at this point. But if you look and this does a big number, for them on access TV, which like, I think they do like 200,000 viewers a week for their normal show. I don't know. That doesn't include whatever they get on Twitch, but just by the way, if you don't have access TV impact is also on Twitch. I've heard some people on the internet being like, well, how the hell can I even watch this? I don't have access. It's on Twitch. So you can watch it there if you're listening and didn't know. Or free. Um, but you know, depending on what that number looks like, you know, if that thing doubles, and continues to double if Kenny continues to show up on this product. Hell, I mean, if you're one of those other companies that's pulling a very small piece of this pie right now, why would you not want to say, hey, let's trade talent. Let's do what we can do. Let's all work together. I mean, this is the perfect time. Everyone has to stay in one building and and, and film. I mean, I think it's great, like I said, for the AEW talent, people that can't necessarily be used on TV every week, instead of having a bazillion dark matches, trade talent. You know, put some people on dark on Tuesday and put some people on Twitch on Impact on Tuesday. You know, have someone like Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus go over and, and work with, you know, a tag team like the North. Like, I think that's all. All of this is good. I don't see the only way that this could not work is if you fuck it up like WWE does and this all the invasion ends in like one pay-per-view, right? <laughs> like that's the only way <laughs> outside of that. If you're telling me impact well, and AEW is going to trade talent, I I'm assuming that other 
companies are going to want to trade talent. And like I said, from the very start of AEW, WWE should have already been greasing the palms of New Japan to try to prevent the inevitable New Japan and AEW. It's going to happen eventually. Those rights will be fixed or those wrongs will be fixed. And then instead of your company having a tie-in with someone like Okada, where you could do a big Roman Reigns versus Okada match, your competition has that. Yeah. I, uh, WWE's version of, uh, you know, trying to work with other people is uh, ICW, Progress Wrestling, and Evolve. We'll wait for you guys to be down to nothing, and then we'll buy you. Uh, <laughs> yes, this is essentially we're just we're, we're just going to sign all of your talent. What they try to do with business. all Japan. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking. But I mean, this this is a good thing, man, for the wrestling industry. This is huge. Uh, I can't stop saying that enough. Even if the smallest is that this is a small concept that just starts with Impact and AEW building up towards a pay per view or a set of match or whatever. I think this starts the ball rolling even more so in cross-brand, you know, uh, explosiveness. And I guess a lot of people are going to be like, you know, with Impact, like we said, what does AEW have to gain? If AEW can get all these guys together and they can kind of trade out talent, uh, they don't – I mean, they, they, they're they going to want to have a second TV show anyways. But if you have all this going on, everything's everyone's getting exposed, everything's getting big, and it's, it's WWE literally against – everyone that's pretty big in the picture and this comes from a guy that you can call him money mark or whatever tony khan who loved all these fucking promotions and now might be able to work with all of them to take on the biggest promotion and if the biggest thing that happens to wwe is that they fucking step their game up good you know you have this thing nxt we've said it a million times uh, we know Kevin Owens is going to fucking lose uh, to Roman Reigns. Sammy's probably going to lose to Daniel Bryan. Have them off the fucking TV for a while. And then have them invade NXT with Aleister Black, Cesaro, Shinsuke Nakamura, and the rest of the All-Stars, Ricochet, that you don't fucking use on your main product and put some star talent on NXT. And then see what happens. But, it, you know, this is under a, a rich madman, billionaire, who's getting senile and this i hope eventually you know based on everything else even the negative stuff like you know pat passing and stuff like that smacks him in the fucking face because when vince is smacked in the face that's what he does his best work yeah i mean that's that's the thing is when enough people piss in vince's yard that's when he'll really turn on uh his aggression and <laughs> concentration on the Ruthless product um, yeah, I have to agree with you. It's it's crazy. This was a big week in wrestling for sure. I mean, that's why we had to have a separate show just for this because uh, if you don't think that Impact and AEW, if you think at Impact and you just look at it as like, well, look, like that's a very small fan base. That's a bad way of looking at it because of the talent they have on their roster. Um, and with names like the Young Bucks versus Motor City Machine Guns, a match from a time where Impact was thriving and sometimes getting a million views and having pretty decent pay-per-view buys with that kind of thing. I mean, there's it, the the idea of the Bullet, the original Bullet Club, in in some form or fashion with Anderson and Gallows and Kenny Omega uh, teaming up. 
there's a lot of meat on that bone. It's going to mean more than you think it's going to mean. And uh, like I said, unless they just completely fuck it up, but AEW has yet to really do that. You can say that maybe they haven't booked certain stars the way you would want to see them booked, like Brian Cage or or Brody Lee, but they haven't completely fucked anyone over. And their storylines have been pretty solid for the most part. They book long term for the mo- for the most part, I will say. They do a good job of giving you a story, just like we talked about with that Battle Royal, and drawing that out. And I don't think this will be any different with the people that are going to be involved. And I'm assuming the people that are going to be involved is probably like a Sammy Callahan, Anderson and Gallows, uh, Kenny Omega, Don Callis, and then your AEW roster. There's just a lot, a lot of cool shit that could come out of this. And, and those names are still big. Even though, you know, WWE tried to, to bury the Good Brothers, they're still well-liked by the rest of the wrestling world. And also, if you think about your international audience, these people were big in Japan. If you put them back together, I think that you're going to get more international views. It's, I don't know. I just, I think people are underselling how big this is. At least, you know, outside of like your Meltzers and your, your Brian Alvarez, but the internet as a whole is kind of underselling how big of a deal this could potentially be if done right. I agree. And, you know, when the, the, the bigger people and when, when wrestlers and some of the biggest guys that analyze wrestling like Dave are saying this, I'm fucking listening. Um, this is uh this is pretty brilliant, man. And uh just this as as a starter point, you know, with with Don Omega playing Bobby Heenan and Nick Bockwinkle. We'll see how it goes, man. I'd love to see uh, the two guys that outside of all this I want to see involved in some way is Okada and is is Nick Aldis. Uh something. Uh, you know, some interaction. It doesn't have to necessarily be against Kenny Omega, but Kenny, I think, is going to have three belts come Tuesday, and I can't wait to hear from him on Wednesday, regardless if that happens or not. I can't wait for Tuesday and Wednesday, man. It's fucking crazy. And, you know, I guess that leaves me to say that I can't wait, actually, to watch SmackDown because uh, SmackDown's been pretty fucking good. We'll have a review of SmackDown and NXT and our predictions for TakeOver this weekend on the next show. So check that out. It will be out by the time you guys listen to this one. And, uh, yeah, that, that that's the show. Fucking go AEW, go wrestling. Because anyone that's like a huge WWE mark realize that this is a good thing no matter what. I don't think that this could be necessarily considered any way negative at all, even for WWE, because we've already said they have all the fucking money. Now they need a little bit of a fire to be lit under their ass, and maybe we can see as good of shit that we've seen on SmackDown as of lately and NXT in the past go across all three brands and see some new stuff and some change-ups on them. But uh, we'll talk about WWE stuff on the next show, so check out the next show. And uh, Chris, uh, say goodbye to all the lovely people out there in Geek Vibes Nation. Goodbye, you lovely people. If you want to talk to me on Twitter, you can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton. I do want to say this is not a burial of the WWE product. I've really liked what they've been doing on SmackDown. I think SmackDown's been probably their best show as of late. I think there is ways to 
book better and things they can do, but don't be scared of competition. Competition in general, it's good for the workers in the business. It also uh, gives us more stuff to watch as wrestling fans. So get excited. I'm excited. Look forward to talking to you again tomorrow, Dane. And uh, that's it for me. Well, if that's it for him, that's it for me. We have another show, like I said, uh, that you guys will be able to find that we're recording tomorrow on Saturday, uh, the 5th. And uh, check that out. Like I said, we'll be going over NXT, SmackDown, and NXT TakeOver predictions. Look forward, you should all, to War Games. It's going to be fucking awesome, and I'm definitely looking forward to myself. And uh, check out. We'll be having an episode that we're going to be doing on uh, the 6th, or no, on the 5th, or I'm sorry, on the 6th, Sunday, we will record our second episode of our horror show. I think I'm going to call it The Horror Show. I know it's kind of lame. I'll figure out something at some point. Where we're going to be going over The Exorcist and The Exorcism of Emily Rose and break down those two movies. That will be me, Christopher Brotheroy Patton, and my good friend Alex Krieger, who's a horror aficionado like the two of us so get ready for some stuff some content and as always let the geek fires be with you peace out guys